Hey, this is Paul. This is a Friday morning, January 27. I'm not doing a Bridges of Meaning Discord question and answer. That will probably come next week, Friday. I'm doing those once a month. But I was in Wheatland yesterday. Wheatland is a town that is it's just south of Olivehurst and Yuba City. Um, there's, I didn't know there was anything in Wheatland. And when the, um, when the message came through that Jordan Peterson was coming to Wheatland, I didn't pay any attention to it because I frankly didn't remember that it was anywhere near Sacramento. But then I, um, a friend of mine who's been a friend for a long time, um, said, oh, let's go to the Jordan Peterson event. And okay. And I, I've been to five other live events of his and I, I thought, Oh, okay. I, I did a lot just to have some time with my friend cause we hadn't seen each other for a while and we'd get some good car time and we could talk and we're going to have dinner together. And, um, and so we, we met at a certain place and we drove up with him and this was, this was, this was the best live presentation I've seen Jordan Peterson give. I thought it was really good. He was strong. He was sharp. He was funny. And I thought I'd run down the evening a little bit, run down his talk. I took some notes on his talk. And afterwards, um, I had a chance to um, meet with Jordan and Tammy. And so I thought I'd, I'd give a kind of a rundown on that. And then after I give my little rundown, I'll drop the link and we can open it up to some question and answer and some live chat. So the venue, I should, maybe I should pull it up. Let's see if I can, um, let's see how sharing the stream goes here on StreamYard. Um, Oh, let's see. Where can I put this? I'll put this. I'll put this down here. Uh, present. Oh. oh, might still be there. Okay, let's try this. Yeah, there it is. Good. So here's Sacramento, way down below here, and maybe I'll make myself small. This part of this is just learning. Um, learning StreamYard. I, I really like it. It's been proving out, proving well. So here's Sacramento. This is the city I live. And I live actually down in uh, this area. This is the pocket. I live just on the other side of the pocket, right by this park here. That's where the church is. I live quite close to the church. And so if you drive up, 99 turns into 70, and you go to this Hard Rock Live, which I don't know if it's an Indian casino or because it's a it's a full-fledged casino um and it's a it's a massive place in the middle of nowhere and so when I heard Jordan was coming to Wheatland I was thinking what's in Wheatland so my friend and I we 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 buck through traffic and you know we're running a little late and we wanted to have dinner together so we we go in there and and he said, yeah, I tried calling for reservations at the at the cafe. And they said, oh, we didn't need any. They don't take reservations, but there's plenty of space. And so then we we get in there <laughs> and, the, and the people like, our wait. 
And it's like, well, we don't have an hour before the show. And so we said, well, what other places can we eat? Well, there's a noodle, there's a noodle place here. And then there's sort of a coffee shop place here. So went to the noodle place that looked like an hour wait. Then we went to the coffee shop and, you know, all of the hot things like hot dogs and chit and and cheesesteaks they were they were a half hour wait we didn't have a half hour so well what's cold well tuna fish sandwiches so my friend and i sat down and ate tuna fish sandwiches and we had we had a lovely talk just reconnecting and sharing our stories and um so then so then we we went into the venue and sacramento for california is is sometimes hard for people to to understand the central valley California is an enormous, diverse state. And when people away from California think about California, they easily, oh, now I'm putting up ads for this place. All right, get rid of this. Get rid of, get rid of this. <laughs> um, when, when people think about California, they think about Southern California, Hollywood, beaches. They think about Silicon Valley, the Bay Area. But almost the rest of the state is sort of American West and Sacramento in the Central Valley, huge agricultural areas. Uh, Sacramento, of course, is the state capital of the state of California. And it's a it's a very, very diverse city, um, diverse in, in so many different ways. You, you do have some tech and you do have some bedroom communities, people wanting to have a little bit more affordable housing instead of the high prices of the Bay Area. But you've got a lot of ag and you get just outside of the city and it's very country. And so it was interesting being there because, like I said, I've been to, this was my sixth live Jordan Peterson event. The first live Jordan Peterson event, I think, was in maybe February or February or April of 2018. And it was a, it was a little event in San Francisco called The Simulation. And you can find the video of it on YouTube still. Um, and, uh, Rick was there and some other people from the meetup were there and it was a, it was a small event. We had a good time. Um, it was maybe four or 500 people in there. The second Jordan Peterson event, I believe that I went to was in Sacramento, the Sacramento, there's a downtown theater in Sacramento that they, that he had it in. And that was at like 2,500 people. The third event was in San Jose. Our meetup again, went down there. And that was a big venue again, you know, over 2,000 people. The fourth event was in the the same place that the first event was in San Francisco. This was associated with an organization that I know in the Bay Area. And so that's when we had a really big meetup in, in anticipation of that. The fifth event was in Santa Rosa that Rick and I went to. And we met Jordan Peterson backstage. And Rick and I and Tammy had a, had a lovely chat. And, and so I, I, I let Jordan know that I was going to be at this event and he said, Oh, meet me backstage. And so we did that. And, um, myself and my friend and Jordan and Tammy and, and had a wonderful, had a wonderful few minutes with him. And, um, yeah. And, and like I said, this was, this was, I, I thought the best event and I'll talk about some of the reasons why I think it was the best event. And then I'll, I'll take your questions after. Like I said, here are my, here are my notes. Um, I don't expect any of you can probably read them, even if I make them really large. Um, I took them, I took them on my phone. And so the, the, the evening started off. So, so the crowd was, 
the number, the percentage of women in these crowds, at least from the events that I've seen, is continuing to grow. A lot of couples. And again, because we were north of Sacramento, this was, um, and the name of the town is Wheatland and, and it, it's a casino. So it was a very, it was a very country audience. Usually when you go to these Jordan Peterson events, a lot of the hardcore Jordan Peterson fans dress up nicely. Though know, they're wearing, you know, some were coming in three piece suits. I try to dress a little better than, than I do. Normally you get to see how I usually dress in the winter. I wear this thing and in the summer it's just shirts, but, um, yeah, more women. Women were very enthusiastic at the event. Um, women were very enthusiastic at the event. I'll have to say that. The demographic was definitely sort of country California rather than more urban California, which has been in San Francisco and San Jose. Like I said, Sacramento sort of a mixture of country urban um, California. And yeah, the crowd was big. I I didn't I don't know how many was there. Just looking at the room, over fifteen hundred, maybe over two thousand. It was a big room. It's a big venue. Again, it's sort of in a casino venue, which was which was interesting. And uh, my friend was like, you know, were hardly any tickets left when he grabbed our tickets, and it it seemed that the whole place was sold out. I, I did some reflection again on this because. You know, when Jordan sort of arose in in 2017 and his first book tour was 12 Rules for Life, you know, you expect, okay, it's a big book. It's a big splash. It's a cultural moment. Will this thing fade? It's not fading. This was not the most, obviously, not the most well-known venue, not a venue in the heart of it. Sacramento's a medium-sized American city. And this is, you know, it's this is 30 minutes out of town to the north, out past the airport, almost to Yuba City, Olivehurst. And these are, that's, Yuba City is more like a town than a city. Um, Olivehurst is a sort of a bedroom community of Yuba City. He had this place packed. And You know, as a preacher, I, I mean, what he does is so akin to, in some ways, a religious event. And even though he had a he had a few, th this was by no means. It's it's so tortured because I you know I watch the Twitter chatter about Jordan and people are always attacking him because of his politics. And he you know he likes to talk politics. He has political conversations on his videos, but these, this event that I was with, and I'd say almost all of the events and some of the early events when Dave Rubin was sort of opening for him, Dave Rubin made it more political, but this was, this was Jordan Peterson, um, about responsibility, about God, about love, about a lot of theodicy in this talk. And I'll get into that because I actually thought there were a lot of really interesting aspects of, of theodicy in this talk. And he made a lot of interesting points. So it, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of frame and categorize these events. They're, they're in many ways religious. And it was this, obviously this religious quality to what was happening in 2016 and 2017 that drew my attention. 
and the the religious hunger of his audiences that of course very much grabbed my attention and you know i'm still here and a lot of people are still here i know with youtube churn people come and go and you listen to a variety of people and sometimes you watch them a lot and sometimes you watch someone else a lot and there's that's just sort of the normal youtube churn but for jordan to continue doing these events um, today he's talking to Joe Rogan. So I imagine later this afternoon, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't watch, especially since Joe Rogan went to Spotify. I don't watch a lot of Joe Rogan. I count on you all to point out videos to me, <laughs> things that Joe Rogan says that will be of interest to me. But so he's talking to Joe Rogan today and he said recently at a big announcement before the event, there was, there were some big screens and before the event, there was some, there were some commercials, uh, a significant, um, commercial for essay and you know this has always been sort of a family affair and i'll talk about tammy in a few minutes but uh michaela obviously a sizable podcaster and youtuber in her own right now but julian hasn't much been in the mix and julian is really at the center of this essay project and from the promo julian uh, identified as a software engineer and, you know, you, you remember the early days of 2016, 2017, when Jordan's struggling with his tech and it's Julian, and Julian comes in and fixes, uh, fixes his stuff for him. Well, Jordan starts out talking about his experience of working with students to have them write a decent, coherent essay. And so what it appears essay is, is a software platform that helps people structure, organize, and edit their writing. Now, I've played with some of these kinds of platforms before because I am such an ADHD writer that I really need some structure. So I'll, you know, gosh, you know, I, I buy three or four. I thought buy three or four copies of every Jordan, every one of Jordan's book. I wind up with the physical book, the audio book, and the Kindle book. So I'll, I'll, I'll try out this essay, essay thing. You know, Jordan got me into Daily Wire. So Eric, Eric Hamilton, right when the Daily Wire deal came down, I mentioned it on Twitter and Eric Hamilton said, this means, this means Paul Vanderclay is going to subscribe to Daily Wire Plus. And uh, yeah, I said, nah, I don't know if I will, but then of course I did. So essay looks interesting. That could be the announcement that Jordan makes. Peterson Academy, then the second sort of promo that was on the screen. Um I know that John Verveke has recorded for Peterson Academy. I know that Jonathan Peugeot has recorded for Peterson Academy. So I don't know any of the others. Um, I talked to John Verveke both about Peterson Academy and, oh, what's the name of the, what's the name of um, Stephen Black, his university that he's got in South Carolina. And you know, Peterson Academy is new. It hasn't really rolled out yet. We're going to have to find out the details of that. Well, well, I go back to school at Peterson Academy. Might happen. Um, who knows? But so John Verveke and Jonathan Peugeot and Jordan are all doing things for Peterson Academy. And, you know, Jordan and Michaela have talked about sort of the cringe factor of calling it Peterson Academy. But um, it's from a marketing position it's kind of the most obvious way to go if Jordan is going to follow through with part of his ambition to remake university education. So 
Um, a couple little clips couldn't really get a sense from that. We'll have to we'll have to see how Peterson Academy does. You know, um, Think Spot didn't pan out. It, it's the way it goes with trying new things. You know, some things pan out, some things don't. Um, I think despite the frustration that many people have of Jordan Peterson material being behind the Daily Wire plus paywall, um, I think now a number of months into it, that's which I call sort of wave three, I think generally speaking, the Daily Wire plus thing is going well for Jordan. And um, certainly the, the, the technical aspects of his productions are are excellent consistently excellent especially you know the sound and the video so yeah that's that seems to be that seems to be going well for him so those two promos and then this time for the first time they had the opening act was a a a solo guitar player beautiful beautiful um well miked i mean in a in a hall like a, a casino a casino show hall, you know, they've got the sound and the lights all, all perfectly dialed in. They have to, they do music and, and sorts of things that, you know, I went there with my friend and I, he, neither of us had ever been there. And after I got there, so I'm like, oh yeah, this is sort of like, this is sort of like Lake Tahoe flatland. That's basically what it was. So beautiful guitar music. Part of the reason again for opening acts is because, and every preacher knows this, people are invariably late to events. And so you have an opening act to give people time to get into the room and so that the people who are sitting waiting for the latecomers to all assemble uh, have something nice to listen to. And so the classical guitarist went for, mm, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Nice, nice blend. Apparently this guy's touring with Jordan, so he's he's now Jordan's opening act in the world tour. So, and then after that, Tammy came out. And when I was, when I saw Jordan in Santa Rosa, Tammy opened the act there too. And I, I find, I, I find Tammy just delightful. I, I think she's a, I think Jordan with Tammy, I think Jordan with Tammy is better than Jordan alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. Um, Tammy softens Jordan. I think she sort of keeps him grounded. I, I think, yeah, I, Tammy's. I think it's. I think it's great that they're touring together because I think, I think she does make Jordan better. So, and she opens with sort of a story, and she kind of, in very brief strokes, went through, um, you know, C sixteen and all of that, what that brought, and then you know, they she didn't talk much about their illnesses or her heal her really miraculous recovery or Jordan's semi-miraculous recovery. Jordan was stronger and fitter and sharper than I've ever seen him in a live event. And, and maybe than I've ever seen him even on video. He looked really good. He looked really strong. He seemed really healthy. The guy's an energizer bunny. I mean, he, he just goes and goes and goes and goes. And if you've ever been to these events, this is what he does. And so, he, you know, the event sort of starts at 7.30. He gets on stage by about 8 o'clock. The guitarist was about 15 minutes. Tamu was about 15 minutes. 
And, you know, he does this and then he'll sometimes meet people off stage afterwards just briefly. And then he goes and does the meet and greet. And he had, he mentioned that he had dinner with someone before that. You just get the sense that the guy is just people, 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 people. And he's recording videos and he's talking to people. And like this morning, I'm sure he's flying down to LA and he's on Joe Rogan and he'll probably have another Another meeting, Tammy had said that um, in her opening act, she said that she was looking forward to going back home because of her grandchildren. And I, who have five children, uh, none of them married yet, um, but but four of the five with significant others, um, I'm sure the fifth will have one at some point. Uh, one of the things that I really look forward to someday is grandchildren. And so when Tammy said that, it warmed my heart. So she talked about, you know, life, a little bit of life with Jordan, and then talked about how Michaela used to open, but then Michaela's busy. She has a daughter. She has a podcast. She runs Jordan's business. She manages Jordan's brand. So she can't travel with him. And then Jordan asked her, and it was, that's what I put in my notes. He asked me, let's see if I can make these larger in, uh, I don't seem to, doesn't seem to have the same functionalities. Oh, it does kind of. Oops. Okay. Yeah, this is this is this is like the Grim Grizz show, you know. I'm uh I'm showing all the live stream live stream warts and all. There we go. That's oh I'll show it. Okay, there we go. Now I'm gonna move the camera a little bit. I'm not I don't have anywhere near the uh the real insightful memes that that Grimm seems to be able to pull up in a moment. So it was just a, just a delightful moment in the story where, you know, I, I think I can imagine for Tammy, Jordan, Jordan's fame. I, I, Jordan's fame has to be a stress on the marriage because, you know, Jordan, there's all these things vying for Jordan's attention. And, and I remember, it was either in a video or at a live event, Tammy, when Jordan sort of skyrocketed, Tammy mentions, maybe Michaela mentioned Tammy saying this, you know, um, you know, I'm afraid we've lost him and, and sort of lost him to the crowd and lost him to the, to everything going. <laughs> I can't believe he just mocked my not coughing tick. Is that what that is, Chris? I thought that was a, I thought that was sort of a genius um, I thought that was just sort of a genius gimmick. It's a not coughing tick. Well, it's pretty sharp. So Tammy made a comment and one thing basically saying, you know, I, 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 I thought, you know, I thought we'd lost him. And so losing Jordan to the crowd would be a very real possibility. And the answer to this, of course, for Tammy is stick with him, go on tour with him. And, and Jordan and Tammy are remarkably transparent for people in the kind of controversy they are in. And that's a quality I continue to find endearing and authentic about the two of them. So, so she tours with him and she opens with him and she said, you know, this isn't, this isn't something she talked about how she used to do massage therapy, but she got arthritis in her hands. And so she couldn't do it anymore. And, but now she's touring and now she's opening. And she of course has, she, of course, has her own podcast. I told her that I thought her interview with Louise Perry was the best Louise Perry book interview that I've seen. Tammy asked questions that either no other interviewer 
would ever think of asking or would dare to ask. And I covered some of that in the marriage uh, marriage crisis, the latest marriage crisis video. So, so, so she was just delightful, telling some little stories. Um, you know, mentioned Jordan Peterson Academy, um, talked about storytelling, and then she went into rule number two. Um, you know, opportunity. You know, an opportunity overlooked is basically responsibility abdicated. And and right away, I started about thinking about the word responsibility because responsibility comes from the word respond. And 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 actually, this word, I'd love to see Jordan Peterson dig into this word more in his lectures because if you follow enough Jordan Peterson lectures, just like any public speaker, especially who's speaking like this, and I know this because in many ways, my videos are like this, you'll have these little hobby horses that you're on. I remember when I first started following Tim Keller around 2006, um, he was you know, contrasting gospel with religion. You know, he'd write a book about that. Most speakers go through these little phases where they have these little um, sub-narratives and sub-routines that they sort of dwell on as they're sort of mentally working through things. And so Jordan, in a lot of his more recent speeches, has been talking about responsibility, even though he has. But responsibility is always a response to this call. And Rick just sent me a text this morning where he um, linked the Jerusalem interview that Chad had had put in his Friday morning nameless a few days ago. And um, I posted that on Twitter and some people were real smart, snarky about it, but that's Twitter, I suppose. But I, so I listened to actually that this morning on my way to work here. And um, yeah, I, I should probably do some commentary on that because I think, I think again, that was unlike sort of the, the Ephesus speech, which was longer this was a really nice, tight, compact presentation of some of Jordan's main concern right now. And it nicely sort of brought together different different aspects of his work. So Tammy talked about Rule Tool a little bit. Um, Jordan talked about the fact that it's rather overwhelming to come on stage. And, and I was thinking, I was doing a lot of thinking about that. Maybe when I jump into the live when I jump into the live segment of this show, I, I'd like to hear from some of you about all of the people that come to this place can, and most of them certainly have listened to dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of hours of Jordan Peterson for free on YouTube, yet they pay real money. These events aren't cheap. They pay real money, and some of them even realer money for the, the full-fledged VIP, you know, 45 second handshake, meet and greet, take a picture thing. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? So, and, and Jordan said, basically, you know, it's rather overwhelming to be here. And maybe when it stops being overwhelming, it's time to quit. And I thought, oh, that's, that's right. That's right. Um, and he talked about partaking in discussions. We talked about Kierkegaard, Dostoevsky, um, talked about notes from the underground, uh, talked about, you know, not happiness, uh, talked about adventure, um, then went, went into Abraham and, you know, a, a lot of, so, so it was interesting because afterwards he said to Tammy, I wasn't really sure what sure I was going to talk about tonight. So Sam, can't, Tammy sort of got him going. They'd probably talked about riffing on rule two because ostensibly 
these events are book tours, even though they're not really book tours. They're, they're, he's much more like sort of a meaning crisis circuit rider. And circuit riders were preachers on the American frontier that would ride horses to place to place to place to place to give these revival gospel co gospel um, talks. And, and in many ways, this book tour is just sort of a meaning crisis circuit riding tour. Very adoring audience. Now, people love him. Again, this audience was older, more couples, more country. San Francisco audience tended to be younger, techie, more predominantly male, um, more nerdy. Again, this was more country. San Francisco tends to be more nerdy. So he talked about Abraham, God being the spirit that calls to adventure. And also, you've you've heard Jordan talk about studying stand-up comics. I've mentioned before that back in my church planting days, we, because Peterson is a rock star for grown-ups, Rick says. Um, yeah, yeah. Ask ask Rick how he almost ruined the tour. Ask Rick how he almost ruined the tour when he with what he said to Jordan Peterson. Um, I'll let I'll let Rick tell that story. Um, I can't read the comments because I'm already way too distracted I'm only by my own thoughts. And when I'm distracted by all of your thoughts, it's even worse. Jordan was talking about how he studied stand-up comics back in the days when I was very involved with church planting. That was also sort of a piece of church planter training, getting people uh, to study stand-up comics. Why? If you watch, I only watched like the first couple seasons of Ms. Maisel which is supposed to sort of be based on Joan Rivers, which is very interesting. So in the first couple seasons of Miss Maisel, they really go into sort of what's what's at stand-up comic. And what stand-up comics do is they go from place to place to place to place. And they, they, they basically work their act. And they find out what lines get reaction. And there's no better way to know to figure out what you have is good than to go crowd after crowd after crowd and see what consistently works well. So I got home last night after the event and I had still way too much adrenaline flowing through me because I had a terrific evening at the event. I had a terrific evening with my friend. And so when I got home a little before midnight, I was all hyped up. So I couldn't go to sleep. And uh, Jacob was doing his just chatting thing uh, or his little doggy cam, whatever crazy stuff he's doing now. So I hopped on with Jacob and I talked about this and Jacob says, you know, you're, he said to me, you know, you're too, you have to understand that these live events for Jordan, and I'm going to rephrase Jacob a little bit, are really helpful for him to hear the crowd. And I think recalibrate to not lose touch with the crowd. Now, of course, there's opponent processing between touch with the crowd and audience capture. And that's part of the dangers of circuit riding or, being an itinerant preacher or being a circuit rider for the meaning crisis. But um, he's, so if you go to one of these events, sort of, it's again, it's sort of like, you know, Rick says it's a rock star, a rock concert for adults. Rick is right in that when you go to one of these events, people coming to it want to hear all the same old songs. I mean, you can still go to like these, these bands that don't even have the same musicians in that they used to have, but they're still on tour because the record company owns the name 
and they sang all the familiar songs. I remember going to one of these downtown. I don't remember why we went to it. It was because of one of my kids or something. But, you know, I was surrounded by people slightly older than me singing to a rock band that has long since passed. But the, the whole point of being there is to sing the songs together. It's to play along. And, and again, for me, that's a big part of this little corner of the internet is I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with Jordan being as big as he is, but I want there to be enough small spaces so that we can all play along. And I think, you know, we've done that on discord and various discords. And now we're doing that with Streamyard. and Jacob's just chatting and Grim Grizz's live stream, you know, it's, and you know, Mark with navigating patterns. Um, I think Cassidy said that sort of um, Fridays, I think about noon, California time, which is quite a bit later, Netherlands time where she's living, Cassidy might have a live stream. And so part of what I think we want, what I think the, the Discord um, was helpful with and a helpful stage in that was was virtually not alone. And of course, Grim Grizz is, is actually pioneering. Grim Grizz is way more important than the size of his channel, as is Jacob, as is Nate, as is Sam, as is all of these other, as is Karen, as is Sevilla, all these other smaller channels sort of in this little network. And I'm really glad there's all these smaller channels in these little networks and that these, these channels attract different audiences. So Nate and... Grail Country, they attract a certain audience. Grizz attracts a certain audience. Jacob attracts a certain audience. Jacob's audience, like my local meetup, is terribly low in agreeableness because Jacob is one of those classical, very low in agreeableness people. So, you know, what we're doing is we have this little ecosystem where we can play along. And a big part of these big events is so that people can have a sense of participation in the movement. That's why there that's why activists march and have rallies. That's why there are political rallies and, and that, that was something that Trump, you know, figured out. Trump of course is a someone he's a master marketeer. And so figuring out the rallies and figuring out Trump figured out that rallies work for him, but political conventions are the same way. People want to play along. They want to be involved. They want to participate. And all of these little channels that we have here are ways to participate. You can jump in and talk to Grizz. You can jump in and talk to, to, to Chad. You can jump in and talk to um, Jacob and Nate and, you know, lots of the other channels doing this. So this is, this is this is part of what we what we really want to do. So Jordan, in that sense, like a stand-up comic, has a lot of his regular lines and a lot of his regular stories. And for those of us who've been listening to Jordan intensively for years now, I've heard many of these stories. And there's always sort of a back and forth. So he's got to have both some new material to keep the long-term people engaged, but also some familiar stories that work sort of accumulated like a stand-up comic to because these will be crowd pleasers and these will give the people a sense of participation and engagement, which is why they bought the expensive ticket and why they drove or flew to the event and why they brought their spouses and their kids and why they 
Um, they want to be there, even if most of what they hear, they've heard before, and they're okay with that. They're just like, what, what, um, dire straits. That was a, it was a dire straits. Rick would have the right name for this, like a dire straits legacy band. Um, and, and, you know, again, all these baby boomers who maybe didn't get a chance to go to concerts when they were young because they weren't in the right place and didn't have the money and weren't cool enough, but have been listening to this band's music for 30 years now in their 60 plus year old bodies, they're dancing and yeah, there's a cringe factor to all of this. I get that, but, um, let's not be so high and mighty that we're above a little bit of cringe. I mean, I think in some ways, um, Grim Grizz has, has, you know, perfected the art of cringe. So his shows are electric. It's true. It's true. Sultans of swing. That's right. So let me in on the trolling. It's my specialty, Meta Jester says. All right. So where was I? I distracted myself. So, so yeah, Abraham, spirit that calls. I mean, we've heard this again and again and again, and you'll you'll hear it a dozen more times. And then he nicely connected adventure and faith. And I thought that was a really good departure from the celebrity atheist line that faith is beliefs that you don't have evidence for. That is, that is such a poor attempt to define a word. And, and I think, I think Jordan, I mean, a big part of the meaning crisis is faith in being that being is good. Now. Yeah. I know a lot of, Christians will hear that and say, that's sort of a watered down. Yep, it's watered down, it's abstracted, it's way out there. But I think if you believe, and I asked I asked John Vervecchi this directly at one point, it's on video, you know, is being good, neutral, or negative? If you say being is good, you are within an inch of being a theist. And Jordan believes being is good. And John Vervecki believes being is good. Now, I think if you're a hardcore atheist, the best you can go is being is neutral. And if you're a nihilist, being is negative. Being is evil. Being is wrong. And these conversations go way, way back into the classical period. Gnosticism. Um, all kinds of all kinds of ancient philosophical movements. So connecting a call to uh, responding to the spirit of adventure with faith, yeah, that's good. That's really good. and And he mentioned that, and it's it's quite true. people people sometimes regret the decisions they made, but they more often regret never having tried. And I think about my years in the DR, and I was, High in, high, so high in conscientiousness that I work, work, work. And I think back and some of my friends who, you know, were working for Habitat for Humanity or other little mission projects who lived in the little town that I did, you know, they would take more time to drive out to the beaches, to, to spend more time recreating. Now, I also had a kid, so that impacted our, our freedom. But um, I, when I think back over those years, most of my regrets are about 
risks that I didn't take. And I think I think Jordan really nailed that. What most people to the end of their life look back and look at risks they didn't take. Now, sometimes people look back and see risks they did take that were unwise risk. And that, that's part of the sort of there's a TikTokness to these things. The tick is have a bias towards action and risk taking. The talk is do so with wisdom because you really need both. And then he went into theodicy, which was very interesting because he got into sort of reality and faith because first he connected faith to the call to adventure. And then he went into a very interesting section where he connected opponent processing and he, he closed the evening with thank you for your time and attention. And I thought, this this little corner is having an influence. I'm gonna take off my coat. I'm getting warm. Ooh, static electricity. He ended with "Thank you for your time and attention," and I thought, yeah, he's been spending time with John Verveke. So he starts talking about opponent processing and starts talking about the fact that, and it's true, if you look at he didn't talk a lot about this, but it made me think of it, which is a little preacher trick for those of you who are preachers or public speakers who want to do this thing. People less remember the words that you say and more remember the thoughts that you had that were provoked by their words. And that's the same for my videos. People will often in a Randall's conversation or a question and answer say, well, didn't you say, and I think, no, I didn't really say that, but I can understand what I said that provoked that thought in you. So he's talking about opponent process body. And if you look at almost all of our arms, even the way our muscles are arranged, they're all sort of against each other. So that that's how I can control my arm. And he talked about the fact that if you have to do something really precise with your hand, it's sort of hard because it's unopposed. But if you want to hold your, if you want to hold your hand real still for a while, it might be difficult. It's a lot easier if you have two hands together because of the opponent processing and our muscles work that and our brains work that again, the, the brain science that compares us to chimps. Verveke talked about this at the beginning of one lecture somewhere. Uh, chimps, that was his lecture in Eastern Europe. Chimps are no dumber than us and they might in fact be in some way smarter than us, but what they don't have in their brain is as much I can't remember the technical word for it. It's basically resistance, inhibition. We are far more inhibited than chimps. Um, that, and that what that says is that to a degree in terms of our cognition, there's a lot more opponent processing in our cognition and that makes us smarter. And so he talked about, and this part was really good. He talked about suffering and how suffering and frustration and opposition optimizes challenge for us and helps us to level up. And again, anyone who plays video games knows this leveling up dynamic where, you know, there's a, there's a phrase, I'm going to quote the book of Mormon. I can't believe it. I'm going to quote the book of Mormon because of my homeless friend who's a Mormon. And so often he's a broken record. And I know my, my knowledge of the Mormon religion is about a hundred memes deep, but those hundred memes have been told to me thousands of times. And so this, my, my Mormon friends, uh, favorite, Favorite line from the Book of Mormon, there must be opposition in all things. 
And that's basically opponent processing. And, and Jordan makes the point that for us to actually mature and grow strong and develop, you can even think about this with respect to weightlifting or, or physical training. It's all about opponent processing and there being resistance to our efforts. And you, you know this with a spoiled kid. A spoiled kid is someone who has never suffered. And in fact, my friend and I who went, we we had been talking quite a bit about that because, you know, we've um and we've known each other for a long time and and both of us have shared some suffering and shared our own individual suffering with each other. And so I, I do know that when friendships have grown because there has been shared suffering, those friendships are deeper. So he talked about that. And he, and he talked about how in some ways, and this is true, we are all pushed to our limits by the evil in this world. And, and why would God allow suffering? Maybe to grow us up. But now, and, and so then he talked about how when you get to chaos and order, what you're really doing is dancing on the edge. And I thought about that. And, and it's true. I mean, we, we sort of seek the edge. And we, we sort of seek whatever edge we're pursuing. And of course, there's lots of ideals and lots of hierarchies. But we sort of seek the edge. And right there at the edge and the, the place where chaos and order meet, that's where there's sort of optimization. And that's really where there's progress and development and advancement. And that's true. And so... Theodicy, he connected theodicy with dancing on the edge. And it's at that point that I had, um, you know, and consciousness is like dancing on the edge. Another one of his lines, chaos and order optimized. And he mentioned this as a solution for the problem of suffering. And I thought about that and I thought, yes, to a degree, if the individual is maximized. And he talked about the fact that in order for there to be a real world, there has to at least be the very real danger and the very real danger of failure and suffering. Now, if there's going to be the very real danger of failure and suffering, that means that there has to be real failure and suffering. And when you think about, let's say, video games, you die in video games and then you respawn. And maybe the video game tries to add a little element of suffering by you have to wait 20 seconds before you can respawn. You can't respawn automatically, instantly. And so it's just a little bit of resistance that's built into the video game. So let's say if it's a team game and you're playing um, Call of Duty or World of Warcraft and you have to wait to respawn and you're seeing some of your mates and your, your, your team members getting getting shellacked by the opposition and you're just frustrated because you want to get in there. I mean, even when we played paintball for Jesus up in Thunder Bay, I should mention early on, um, set aside the weekend of May 19, 20, and 21, Chino, California, conference about a quest for a spiritual home. The quest for a spiritual home. We're still working on the title, but that seems to be the way it's going. Um, and there will be paintball for Jesus there. Tickets are not yet available. Whenever tickets are available, 
I'll let you know when tickets are available. We're going to have a an anticipatory conversation between myself and Jonathan and John and Catherine and John Vendonk. The five of us are sort of the organizers of this conference. And um, yeah, I think we'll have a limit of about 300 people that can attend. Jacob thinks that's way too small. Uh, so I challenge Jacob if he will, if he can put together a conference for a thousand people in in um, Los Angeles, not way out to Chino, Ontario. Go for it, go for it, Jacob. Um, so mark those dates, and when tickets go on sale, I'll let you know. Um, really excited about that upcoming conference. Anyway, paintball for Jesus—that's where I was going. When we played paintball in Thunder Bay, you know, you get hit. You got to go back to your starting point and count to 30. So in a sense, you have to respond. So there's there, there has to be the real risk of failure and of suffering and even of death to make the game real. The difficulty with this that I thought of when he was um, when he was going through that was there's. What about community? Because the same is true. This this scales up one level up in terms of communities. Communities have to die. Um, there are always people who do more suffering than others. And then you have the question of fairness. C.S. Lewis wrestles with this in The Horse and His Boy. Um, one of the, now that I have the rights to use 10 minutes of each of the Exodus series. I talked to Jordan about that too. And um, now that I have the rights to use 10 minutes of each of the Exodus series, there's a really nice place where Dennis Prager goes into theodicy. And I have to, I have to find that. And that'll be a video that comes out sometime soon, hopefully. I hope to dig in more consistently to the Exodus series. They also record the second of the thing doesn't just do like the second half of Exodus. They sort of ran through a lot of the rest of the Pentateuch. And it sounds like the next series after kind of the finishing of the Torah or the Pentateuch is going to be David. So it looks like they're going episodic, which is probably a good idea because if they were going to go through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy at the pace they went through Genesis and Exodus, I don't know if Jordan would ever get out of the Old Testament and into the Gospels, which I very much would like to see him do. Be really curious to see what he, obviously he'll be attracted to the book of Revelation. Very curious to know what he would do with the, with the Apostle Paul. Anyway, but what about a community of edges? Because this, Jordan is so, sort of focusing on the individual and this really scales up to community. And what that means is that well, people live horribly brutal short lives, and that's not uncommon, and whole nations do so, and whole nations suffer. So I, I really liked where he got going in terms of the theodicy, but he certainly left some meat on the bone for more thinking and more work on it. And so I'm sure that's I've delegated a little subcommittee in my consciousness Congress to continue sort of mulling on that one as as we go further. Um, competence, of course, came up. <laughs> uh, 
again, part of what came through and, and the friend that I went there with afterwards noted it too. In one of the question and answer, someone asked the question, Jordan, how did you, how did you become who you are right now? And he talked about when he was about 13 years old, which is the same age that he mentioned when he left church. Also told a really wild dream in the question and answer. But when he's about 13 years old, he read his first sort of serious book. He was in seventh grade, read his first serious book on the Holocaust. And that sort of lodged in him. And he's never stopped looking at tyranny and suffering and the Holocaust. And and you know what the way I what I take from that is it gave him. Yeah, that's right. That's right, CW. My Consciousness Congress is Presbyterian. That should not surprise you. Um, Jesus Revolution next month. Where was I going with this? See, that's why I can't read the comments because I distract myself. Okay. Reading about the Holocaust at a very early age shaped in Jordan an Augustinian anthropology. Now, that's those are fancy theology words but a a an understanding of the of what Jesus says when Jesus says he doesn't entrust himself to men because he knows their hearts but, but always with an augustinian anthropology you have to balance that with a imago dei an image of god anthropology they're always in tension those two so my friend commented, you know, it's it's really rather strange that Jordan can, in some ways, insult an enduring audience because in this culture where there's so much oof, Pelagian anthropology, people love to hear, you know, you're doing great, you're wonderful, you're a being of light, you're the dust of the stars, you're yada, 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 all this happy, clappy talk. And Jordan comes in and said, you know, talks about snakes. Um, and you are the snake, he said. He had some good riffs. Uh, this was his best speech that I've heard live and and one of the best that I've heard him make, although that, that speech in Israel is also one of the best, and I probably should give it some treatment, as, as Rick noted. Um, and, and turn your kids into snake handlers. And then he talked about um, he talked about a number of things. But, but part of what so we talked about you know if don't let your basically your frame of cognition I won't go into that. It's a, it's a point that he's made in a number of different places. But part of where I go for my own one of the videos that I almost made yesterday I didn't really get to it in the video I did make yesterday was I want to look at the nine dot problem, a big tension in this little corner. And when I say tension, I say it as a positive thing. Part of what makes John Verveke so much fun to talk to for me is that we have some significant differences. And that, and this is what I really liked about the, the Jordan, the Jordan Daniel Wood, John Verveke conversation that I commented on this morning is that we're having people have really productive conversations with people with dogmatic, confessional, religious differences. Because this is fun. 
but it's only fun if you can figure out how to do it well. And I understand that the old atheist, theist debates on YouTube were a certain kind of fun, but that was sort of a junk food fun because you get your thrill dunking on the other guy and pwning the other guy and owning the other guy and all that kind of stuff. In terms of Jordan Peterson want to play iterative games, this is way more fun because you know, when John Bervaki and I have disagreements, or even Jonathan Peugeot and I have disagreements, although I guess Jonathan Peugeot is colonizing me to an increasing level because our disagreements are diminishing. Um, it's fun to do it again and again and again because we're doing it in such a way that it's not just a matter of me swatting down his good points or the audience seeing me swatted down by his good points, or the audience seeing him swatted down by my good points, it's when he makes a good point, I have to live with it. I have to struggle. It becomes opponent processing for me. And once that gets into my Presbyterian Consciousness Congress, hopefully out of that time, a new answer will emerge. And that then John will have to contend with. And what we actually do in terms of that opponent processing, in terms of that deal logos, is we level up. That's a far funner game than owning the atheists or whoever your political or religious opponent is. This is far more fun because we actually both get stronger in the way. And hopefully, with that opponent processing, as we get stronger, we get closer to the truth and closer to maturity and close to the ideal and closer to the telos. And I think, you know, thinking about Sam's, I should really, I should really just post Sam's, Sam, I'm sure will give me permission, post Sam's conversation about evolution. Because part of, I know evolution is a contentious thing, but, but this is the point, even for and against evolution, we should let those conversations continue. I always like reading, it sounds crazy, I like reading the intelligent designers and the young earth creationists. I like reading them because they force me to level up. Because when you take an easy answer, the downside of dogma is that you begin to rest on it. And all of our models are insufficient and God wants us further up and further in. And so he gives us opponents and if we can create an arena by which we and the opponents cannot just sort of take cheap points from each other, but actually work with each other, we will both grow. And that's the whole idea behind Dialogos. So I think that even from a view from below in strictly secular terms, the development of the of a rich afterlife in continuity with this world was fundamental for the development of much of the good light that we have arrived at. And the loss of an afterlife, the loss of our imagination into the afterlife will actually in the long term hinder us. And so, of course, you know, part of the, the difference between John and myself is this question of a two worlds mythology. And, you know, this has been a difference right from the start. I think that actually anticipating union with Christ and the resurrection is fundamental for, and I'm going to use the nine dot problem to explain why. Maybe I'll make that video today. I don't know. Hopefully I'll make it at some point. But 
it's what I want to work on. And so I think, you know, Jordan makes this point about basically they're making existentialist points about meaning is valuable enough if it's enjoyed in the moment. And what I think is that without the enlarged frame that affords current imaginal participation in the afterlife, we get truncated. I think I think that's why in many, many cultures and religions, afterlife is sort of an essential aspect. And secularism wanted to cut it off, but I think that truncation is actually a very serious problem. Now I'm getting thirsty. Did I bring my water bottle? I did. Hang on. This is the downside of not bringing anybody in. It's just, usually I can just pause the video and get my drink. Yeah, Anselman, great point. Ken Ham has given a platform for serious scientists to present evidence for the creation account of the Bible. That's part of the reason you need opposition. Again, it's opponent processing. So... And this was, why do we go see these things live? That was my thought there. That wasn't in there. <laughs> Jordan mentioned Eve as meaning. He gets this from Ben Shapiro, benevolent adversary. I think benevolent adversary riffs on the, um, in Genesis, in Genesis 2, what was rendered in the King James Bible as help me. It's not really the, um, because it, in Eve, she's the mother of all things. I mean, the, 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 the meaning of Eve is given in the text itself. You don't have to sort of put helpmate in it, but that's just some of my, um, my, my biblical word accounting. Uh, the goal in chess. And again, he made the same point. If, if you're the kind of, well, another interesting thing about Jordan's, Shame and honor cultures are are pretty are very much there in Jordan's um, value ecology. You know, if you're a if you're a grown adult and you love nothing better than to play uh, third graders at chess because you can beat them all the time, you're not much of an adult. Um, made that point. Optimized development. Um, talked about parenting, and this was really good. He said, you know, every Every everyone is sort of 40% crazy, but if you marry and bind yourself to another, your um your 40% and their 40% won't overlap. And when it comes to parenting, what you're doing in the marriage is that opponent processing, and you're optimizing for parenting and for raising that child, which is a real reason why parents should stay together. Marriage might be hard, it might not be what you were hoping for. But for the sake of the children, keep working on it. Try to get it better. Marriage as opponent processing. I thought that was really good. Um, opponent processing in the world. He told he told the story of his of the biker neighbor that he had when he was a a grad student in Montreal. Told a told a, a you know a story about him going to biker bars with him. He had told that story before. And and then he told this really great dream about basically this this 
um, the scare, the staircase made up of the wood of the pews of the church he grew up in. And I asked him, I said, do you remember a lot of your dreams? He said, I don't do now, but back, and this, this made total sense to me, back when he was studying Jung and studying dream interpretation with Jung and Freud, then of course he remembered his dreams because his dreams were salient to him. And I think part of the reason we in the West now, at least in the weird world, don't remember our dreams is that we think they're unimportant. When I worked with the Haitian, pull out your bingo cards, Dominican Republic, there it is. When I worked with the Haitians, the Haitians were often telling me their dreams. They had huge importance in their dreams. And I was talking to um, Nechama and, and Hezi and Jacob and, or no, it was Joseph and Nechama and Jacob. Or was it Jacob? Was Jacob in there? I don't remember who. Um, but but I asked about in Israel and and they said, this, this surprised me because Israel, Israel is such an anomaly. Um I, I'm, I'm fascinated by, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the Jews in this corner. Why are the Jews so fascinating? <laughs> They're such interesting people. So, um, oh, I said the Jews. Dave Chappelle said, never say it that way. Um, but they, they talked about, I asked, I said, are dreams, I mean, the dreams are critical in the Bible. You always got these dreams. And Nechama said, yes, they are. People pay a lot of attention to their dreams among the Israelis. And I thought, well, that's fascinating because Israel is both an extremely, can be an extremely secular place and also a deeply religious place. And so after, like I mentioned, after I got home, I was, I was wide awake and full of adrenaline. So Jacob was just chatting. So I jumped on with Jacob and Richard and, um, and Hezi jumped on there. And so if you're curious about that, you can find that on Jacob's um, Federici channel. Um, you can see what we talked about there. Cause I talked about the event there too, because I was, I was just full of it. So the spiral staircase with the wooden, with the wood of the spiral staircase made up of the, of the pews of the church that he grew up in. Wow. Hmm. Let's see. You don't mature until there's someone more important than you. Yeah, it's true. It's 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 usually starts out as a spouse and then often becomes a kid. Um, you know, until you until you have a kid. I always say that to people. You know, I I didn't think I was selfish until I got married. And then my benevolent opponent in many different ways taught me how selfish I was. And then I thought I had learned something about maturity until I had had a kid. And that those kids are brutal teachers about just how selfish you are because they don't care if you're short on sleep. They don't care about anything. They just have needs and you're it to meet those needs. And if you're smart and diligent and fortunate to have two parents for one kid, um, then you share it. And then you have, and if you're blessed enough to have two kids, well, then suddenly it's you're, you're each, you, you know, you're, it's both of you have one. And then if you have three kids, you're outnumbered. And then after three, it's just, you just spend, you're just going to spend a decade or more just working for those kids. And you do, if you're a good parent, you lay down your life for them. It's cruciform, it's sacrificial, it's Christ-like. And you don't, and that matures you and grows you up. You know, I, I think if you look in the New Testament, 
where Paul is laying out in 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 Timothy and Titus these um, qualifications for being for leadership in the church. Uh, husband of one wife. That's read lots of different ways. Sometimes it's read in terms of monogamy, but I think also, and I don't think this should be a rule because I've seen some of the best deacons I've ever, deacons and elders I've ever known have been single, but usually single people who have suffered. And and so there's if you if you're actually, well, I know I'm going to say something that shouldn't be controversial. If you're actually following a Christian sexual ethic of only sleeping with someone you're married to, that's going to grow you up because you're going to suffer enough in singleness. You're going to suffer enough with um, with chastity and purity, probably failing it often. But if you, if you make that I, your ideal and you pursue it, you're going to suffer enough to mature. And if you marry, you're going to, well, you're going to get sex, hopefully, not always. There's a lot of sexless marriages. But if you marry, you're going to suffer in your marriage. And if you have kids, you're going to suffer for your children. And all of that suffering will grow you up. That's Again, that's the opponent processing, and it makes us mature. And I do believe that part of what this world for is, and many religions have aspects of this in them, but part of what this life is for is preparation for the next. And so all of this maturing and this growing up and this suffering, this is to prepare what Christ has for us in the new heavens and the new earth. How will that be? I have no idea. We have no idea. I don't think by virtue of how we are formed in this world, we can adequately relate it, which is almost exactly what the Apostle Paul says. But just with Joe, my 17 month is making suffering a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Married 21 years, daughter 18, wife and daughter grew me up good. And there you go, Freedom's Lunch. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, You do not mature until you're you are willing to sacrifice yourself for another. And of course, he said, <laughs> he didn't say it directly, but he intimated it. You know what? What on earth does that tell you? And what does that tell you in terms of a religion? Yeah, it it it, it tells you a lot. Uh, talks about kings and prophets. Prophets. I mean, he's he's made that point before. It's a good point. Back to opponent processing, theodicy, holy grail. He, he was going to close at one point, and he got riffing on another thing. And yeah, if, you, if you're going to be Jordan Peterson's manager, you're going to have to be flexible because if he gets a new idea and he goes off on another arc, he's going to go off on another arc. Just when you thought he was going to land the plane. He, he talked about social contagions like cutting and bulimia and anorexia and in Freud's day hysteria and talked about why he went and testified to the Ontario Parliament because he knew that monkeying with the pronouns is going to cause a lot of problems with teenagers, especially teenage girls, and that this was a bad idea. And, you know, the thing is, I've heard a number of people 
when Jordan first started talking about some of this stuff in the academy, people are like, well, he's a little shrill. Yeah, we understand the point. Yeah, we understand the problem. Five years later, they're saying things like, no, he was right. He was right. Telling the truth as an adventure. And again, that's sort of bundled into, into faith. Um, and and he, he said some things that were basically, you know, don't, you know, part of telling the truth is saying something when you have to say. And now, again, the TikTok of this, on one hand, that's true. There are sins of omission if you keep silent. On the other hand, I know plenty of people. When is your next one-on-one with Jordan? I don't know. I, I thought, I thought actually, um, I probably should have asked. I probably should have. I was going to tell Tammy because I thought it'd be her schedule might be a little bit easier that she could come on my channel if she wanted to. But I, I don't. I don't want to. I'm very. I don't want to take from them. They've they've given me so much, so I, I feel very indebted to them. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask them to come on my channel at least not at this point unless I and I you know I know some of you are like well why don't you should ask because I actually chat chide my wife for these kinds of things often to be more bold and I just made a comment about it but at the same time I also believe that when it'll happen when the timing is right I have a strong sense of providence so. Um, yeah, I don't know when I'll see Jordan again, but we'll we'll definitely meet again. You know, he, he's he's the dude is so crazy busy, and that he's I mean, you can just to just to see all the people he's having conversations with. Um, you know, I I really don't want to to bother him or waste his time. But um, and and what what I can work from from what he puts on YouTube is um, is uh, you know gives me plenty to work on. So. Two dollars wasted. <laughs> Shoot, it would have been a better story if you had wasted a hundred CW. <laughs> Two dollars he didn't say. Foolish transfer. Oh, I can't read the I can't read the comments. You guys are just too funny. So truth as adventure. Um, and and my th my thought of this was um again. On one hand, I mean, there's opponent processing and wisdom all the time. And that's why in the book of Proverbs, you'll find seemingly contradictory Proverbs. And at one point in the book of Proverbs, they're placed in right next to each other, two Proverbs that seem to say exactly the opposite thing. That's opponent processing. So on one hand, don't hold your tongue if you've got something to say. On the other hand, the book of James, who can control the tongue? Um, and if you keep silent, people will think you're smarter. Most of the time, the more we talk, the more we reveal how ignorant, dumb, and foolish we are. And I should be the chief of sinners on that account because who's talked more in the internet internet than I have? So there we are. Faith in whatever happens. Again, this gets into you know confidence that confidence that God is good and God is a good God is the maker of this world, despite all of the despite all of the ways that we fear it isn't because of all of the suffering and the fact that we can't finally resolve the problem of evil and theodicy, but having faith that God will make things right and do what's right. I think that's, that's so at the heart of the Christian faith. What happens when you tell the truth <laughs> that, that maybe 
in that moment, the best doesn't happen to you. And again, he talked about what he talked about with Michaela in his video about the College of Psychology, that when you're in really deep, the truth is your only hope. The truth is your only hope because that's going to be the only orientation you have. And if you lose touch with the truth, you'll, you'll be lost. A lot of what I think about when I think about these hard questions like theodicy and questions about truth and meaningfulness and expedience and all of these things, um, part of our difficulty is that, again, consciousness, consciousness is so monofocal. It's really hard for us to keep all of these things and put them together, which again, I think is why narrative and story are so important because you can hold more truth in a narrative than you can in a list of rules or laws or proverbs. I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to pull out this great section on story from Paul Johnson's history of the Jews. Um, habit, um, Decision, speaking words in and decisions create habitable order. Again, he's riffing on Genesis 1. Um, talked about Socrates. Had some hilarious so question and answer. First thing about dating and AI. Had some really insightful things to say about that. He said, you know, the problem with when, when AI really gets going in terms of the dating world, already someone is has a freemium model for having a, a an AI companion. And so you can have, you can do AI dating for free, but then if you want sex talk with the robot, <laughs> you got to pay. And he talked about the, the um, part that pornography played in the rise of the internet. And he talked about the fact that pornography on the internet is, is in many ways having sex with robots. And I'd never thought of it that way. And yeah. That's genius. He's right. You know, it, we, we're, we're thinking, you know, sex with robots with like, you know, if when when someone and you can see this in the movie AI, which was, you know, Spielberg made quite a while ago. But you know that, you know, there's going to be sex robots all over the place. And Peterson's point was, you know, that's already happening because basically to riff on Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in a sense, you're already having sex with robots if the majority of your sex life is with pornography. Boy, bang, powerful, a powerful idea. It's going to be hard. He says it's going to be hard to people pull it to pull away from to pull people away from the robots. I think that's right. I think, and and that's already happening, and it's happening when. And I participate in this when you go into a room and you, you know, all you see in that room is everybody just doom scrolling on TikTok or Instagram or, um, you know, it's going to be hard to pull people away from the robots, just like it's hard to pull them away from their cell phones now. Uh, what else we got here? Um Oh, amazing question about 
fear of dying from an ER nurse. And this person said, I'm very familiar with dying. I see it all the time and I'm terrified by it. And he, 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 he recommended Socrates, two different versions of Socrates apology. And he basically said, one of the best antidotes to fear of dying is really living. And he talked about when, how did this story go exactly? Someone asked, either he asked his parents, someone asked his parents if he's mentioned this before. Again, a lot of this stuff you can find in other videos and that he's said in other venues. His parents were in his their 60s or so, which is probably Jordan and my age now. If you could, um, the Twilight Zone riffed on this way back in the day too. If you could keep all the wisdom that you have accumulated and be put back into an 18-year-old body, would you do it? And Jordan noted, they didn't say yes right away, and they didn't say no right away. And he kind of walked walk through his own process of that because, you know, would you have kids again? And, and so I'm, I'm about Jordan's age. And so I thought of, I thought of that. And it's like, I, I, I love my kids. I can't wait for grandkids. Having grandkids is sort of like having kids light. Um, you get to enjoy the children, but you don't have all the dirty work. You get some of the dirty work, but not all of the dirty work. I've been watching Yellowstone, and um, in the first season, um, Dutton is, you know, there's there's some attention paid to how he's a different grandfather than he was a father because it didn't look like it was a very good father. Um, it's an interesting show. But so, and, and then, of course, for me, that makes me think about the resurrection. But again, the resurrection isn't just a new body that won't decay. It's a new body in a new world. And again, one of the themes that that I think really comes out in the Gospels is that Jesus pushes this world to its limits. And what Jesus says is that the kingdom of heaven pushes this world to its limits but in order for the kingdom of heaven to be fully realized, there needs to be a more, there needs to be a new arena for our resurrected agents. And, you know, at some point, I think John and I are going to talk about this because I, I think that's fundamental even for having a good life in this life. Uh, it's one of the videos that's rolling around in my head that I haven't had a chance to make. And that's when I stopped taking notes. So, um, yeah, it was great. 1923 was interesting. Yeah, yeah. 1883 was really good. Um, a lot going on. All right. Uh, let's see. Let me get rid of this, this little thing. And um, let me do this. And I'm going to drop it here. Oops, no, didn't work. And I'm going to go over here and and I'm going to pin this. Ah, look at me, I'm learning StreamYard. 
Jacob tried to talk me into this thing. So yeah, <laughs> descend as vultures. I, I can only take so many of you in the room. So if you want to come in and ask a question, ooh, Richard's outside. Hey, Richard. Hello, Paul. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Just uh, walking around campus right now. All right. Well, I saw you last night and I see you this morning. I know, yeah. Uh, you, 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 you are inspiring me to take notes because I almost never take notes with like anything. I don't know. I think there's there's risk just jumping on this live stream. That shows a boldness. <laughs> it does. For so sure. good for I, you. Yeah. No, but the, I I appreciate your notes. So thanks for sharing sharing that. All right. All right. Well, enjoy enjoy the beautiful weather of Southern California. I know. It's not it's not hard to take, is it? No, you know, it did get colder down here than I thought it would. But not for too long. Only for about a month and a half. So. Yeah. How's well, here, the weather up there? Weather up here is gorgeous right now. Oh, we got another denizen. Denizen of this little corner. Oh, I, I hope I wasn't too insulting, Grim. You know, Did I love I miss you. It? No, you no. Didn't miss it. Uh, your cough tick. I had no idea that's what that was about. Uh, sometimes. I mean, uh, there's other ones, but that's one of them. Oh, Richard um, seemed to have froze. We had a, 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 what was the topic of the May conference? It was a question in the chat I couldn't answer. The, um, the topic of the May conference was um, the quest for a spiritual home. Ah, yes. Hey, Sam. Hey, Grim. Grizz. Um, Grim. GG. Also, didn't you uh, like meet with them afterwards and going to tell us about that part? Well, what do you want to know? I mean, I, I did meet with them. And um, what I guess one thing I can say is, you know, I got a chance to do some talking. And, and, and then the friend that I brought in really wanted to share something. And Jordan... I hadn't been in a room with this, so Jordan went into therapist mode and it was really cool. And I really got the sense that I, he had to have been just an outstanding therapist. Um, I, I was, I was really impressed. How well does he know you? Like when you are talking to each other, how familiar or personal is that? I don't know that he knows me very well. I think he has a sense of what I'm doing. I think he trusts me because he knows that I'm working pretty closely with Jonathan and John. You're not and just a asked, lying pastor. No, I'm not just a lying pastor. Um, and he, Vendonk's going to be upset because I didn't talk about estuary. <laughs> so he knows that I'm working with John and Jonathan. And I think that gives me a little bit of credibility with him. So, but, you know, how, if once you have a sense of just how doggone busy he is and keeps himself, you know, it's pretty tough. So, so when are you going on the big show? Whenever I'm asked. They didn't tell you to like 
scrape me off like barnacle or anything, do they? S scrape you off what? <laughs> no Grizz, no Grizz. I want, I want to, I want to point as many people to your channel as I can. I, I, I take it as a personal failure that you're not up over a thousand yet. Yeah, I still think that'll kill the channel. We're doing a, a Deadwood intensive on the Discord Saturday night. And I guess Cassidy is streaming after this. So I won't be streaming today, folks, because I'm gonna I'm gonna let Cassidy have the spot. Let's go over there. All right. Well, hopefully, you know, Jacob's Jacob's um new thing is going to bring some coordination to this little corner of the internet. And Jacob chastised me last night because he said, you know, been dogs doing this thing for like 300 people. It should be in LA for a thousand people. And I said, Jacob, do you really think he said, I could get a thousand people just for you. And uh... <laughs> That doesn't make it worth going to LA. <laughs> Oh, I, I think we lost Vendank. I'll bring you back in, John, when you're, when you're, uh, when you seem to be connected again. So, anyway. So yeah, that was that was last night, and um, oh, you, you, Richard, Richard, I'm not going to participate. If something happens to you, your mother's going to eat me alive. <laughs> I'll talk to you when you're done driving. No streaming and driving. No streaming and driving. I won't permit it. I like how uh, your video actually made it seem like I contributed to that conversation. Uh, <laughs> you did contribute to that conversation, <laughs> Vendank. You gotta, you gotta. If you're gonna be on here, Vendank, you gotta, you gotta have a good connection. And and so anyway, so no, I. Um, Why do you think um, the New Testament um, uh, may, or condemns or says that Peter was off track for wanting to build tents? What was Peter wanting to do, and why is it dismissed as he didn't know what he was saying, or, or that sort of thing? Like, like so many things in that story, and many other stories in the New Testament, um, I think there are a lot of layers to it. I think on one level, so in Luke, so I, I put all three passages in Luke. Peter sees them walking away and wants to build shelters, so that could lead to some motivation on Peter's part. Um, that, and, and I think just even symbolically, he wants to, he wants to tie them down. Do you think he wants to build like a, do you think it's, he's trying, he's wanting to build a shrine, which might be considered idolatrous? Could be. I would think he'd want to build a shrine because that, that's, that's what, sort of it, a reflexive thing to do for a Greco pagan or a Greco Roman person at that time. I Absolutely. saw a god. I'm going to build a shrine, and we'll remember the time that we saw the gods, and we'll, well do even, one to all three of them. Even Jacob's, um, even Jacob's comment about the ascension—that basically the ascension undermines the resurrection. When in John, you know, the rationale for this, Jesus says, "I need to go so that the Spirit can come, yes. and He will do what." I can't do. And so there's 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 very much a hierarchy thing going there where God's spirit needs to come in at a different level that even Jesus, who seems to be able to get around pretty easily, walking on water and such, um, even Jesus can't accomplish this. And so the spirit must come. And that seems pretty clear what Jesus wants to say in the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I don't I don't know if you saw on Twitter, Sam, that Esther had a or Bethel had a comment that she basically thinks that even non-Trinitarians are more Christian than people who um who permit same-sex marriage in church. Well, I can't imagine why she was thinking that. I actually had a conversation with her two days ago. It's rendering through the tubes as we speak. Um, so, but that, how nice of her to say that. Yeah, I thought, oh, that's, that's, that's Yeah, great. that she has elevated sexual ethics above the Nicene Creed. In terms of... <laughs> well, what do you got coming up on your channel, Sam? You got any ideas or plans or guests coming? I'm talking with Jordan Daniel Wood um, in a couple weeks as a follow-up. Uh, to that conversation. So we'll get more into the nitty gritty of Maximus and his Christology and his effects on the history of Christology and what I agree with that and what I don't and that sort of thing. Um, Jordan Wood, he is a difficult person to understand. And like Verveke, he has his own vocabulary world that a certain theological universe understands and speaks in but is hard to translate outside of that. I feel like, and Nate is especially plugged into this world. There's, I don't know, like John Baer, Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, um, David Bentley Hart, and Jordan Daniel Wood are sort of like, they would cluster together if you were to do like a Twitter, you know, universe uh, algorithm, right? That you, I don't know what... Uh, European neo neo patristic orthodoxy, I you know something like that, um, and and they they have this they have their insider vocabulary, which is a little bit tough to penetrate sometimes, and so I'm I'm wondering how I'll be able to talk with Jordan Daniel Wood and try and make him make more sense to more people, because well, I feel like that's one of my missions when I'm talking with Verveke, yeah, is to is I dumbed down my vocabulary, not because John can't understand me, but to make him more understandable to other people. Right. right. And so I'm wondering if I can wrangle Jordan Wood in a slightly similar way. Well, oh, now the Vendank finally got his act together. So I, so Nate sent me an intro, email introduction with, with Jordan Daniel Wood too. And I, you know, Nate, Nate's working hard to bring Jordan into this little corner. So I don't know how many Jordans we're going to have at the end of this, but. Um, here's Jordan Vendank. Oh no, no, it's John Vendank. What, what what do you have to say, John? I, I you don't pop into these things very well. All I can tell you is that I hear a lot of repeating the <clears throat> We hear do you, you hear an echo? I hear an echo and now it's now oh, it's better. Um turn off turn off um YouTube. Right, because yeah. if you have YouTube, YouTube open tab. and the StreamYard open, then you'll hear yourself in delay, and that's very confusing. Turn off YouTube. Yes, but keep StreamYard open. It's amazing John's in this little corner at all. <laughs> no, I figured it out. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> and I swear that we were not making fun of estuary. No. The estuary protocol. <laughs> very much. Not very much. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, so an interesting data point. We had our uh, Chicago meetup on Tuesday, and I've been specifically I advertised December and January and uh, February too as discussion sessions for the Exodus series of Jordan Peterson. Right? 
because previously you would have seen Chicago land bridges of meaning meetup and it's like one of the world's that, right? And if I'm a new person scrolling through meetup.com, that doesn't mean anything to me. So I like, you know, with pictures and descriptions was like, we are discussing Jordan Peterson's Exodus series, right? And three newbies showed up uh, out of the woodwork uh, on Tuesday. Um, and we hadn't had very many newbies in quite a long time. So we probably had more newbies on Tuesday than we had had over like the course of the past year. Um, and so it was an interesting data point. And we did go around and introduce ourselves and tell a little bit of our background, but we didn't do the, what do you want to talk about? Cause we're talking about the Exodus series. Did you would, watch would Brandon's, would Brandon's video have had something to do with that? Um, Brandon's video, I mean, Brandon was there. <laughs> so we were teasing Brandon for uh, making fun. Or, no, actually, I thought Brandon, we were like, Brandon, you were very fair and you were very measured in everything that you said. But just so you know, we were watching. <laughs> so Brandon, <laughs> was, yeah, anyway, um, uh, we did. We So we the meetup starts at seven, but we also offered you can show up at 630 and we'll watch half an hour of it. And so it was optional whether you could show up at 6.30 and watch a half hour together or show up at 7 just for the discussion. Is it going to be a running half hour or a selective half hour? Um, a, a running half hour, basically. The, the, apparently, the, I actually haven't watched very much of the Exodus series. I still, I'm still not paying Daily Wire anything. Um, and so I only get clips and stuff coming at me. So uh, we're just going through the first episode so far. But I, I bet that in a lot of the early episodes, a lot of the talking heads sort of have their built up wisdom that they bring into it. And I wouldn't be surprised if it exhausts itself after a little bit. I don't know how you feel about that, Paul, if you've watched more than I have. I've, I've watched, I, I need to get into the later episodes. I think part of the strength of it is that they have, and, and Jordan actually mentioned this last night, they've spent a fair amount of time together sort of as friends. And so they know each other well. And so they are getting some of that dynamic of, of intimacy and relationship going between them. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see. Now what they did, what it sounds like they did, I thought they were just going to do the second half of Exodus. They went right through Deuteronomy. Uh, maybe even into Joshua. So, um, I so I was a little disappointed with that because I would really like. Because I asked him, I said, "Are you going to do Leviticus?" He says, "Well, we kind of went right through, and everybody sort of had their favorite points that they sort of hit." And and I totally understand doing that because the Bible is long, and there's a lot of weeds in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> there's some high narrative points, but there's, and I really wanted to see them sort of dig into Leviticus and a lot of the, do some ritual, talk about some of the ritual stuff. And yes. that would be interesting. You know, some of those priestly rituals, you know, it's one of those things like you read this and if you don't know what you're reading, it's like, what in the world, how many times do I need to be told how many goats and rams and bulls need to be killed for this and that? But if right. you dig into it, what does it mean? Why did they do the atonement first before they go? You know, I, there's a lot of stuff, and especially Peugeot would be incredibly good at sort of bringing that out. Yeah, no, I agree. So I really wanted that stuff. So maybe we'll, gosh, I wish I had 40 hours in a day instead of 24. 
um, because that would be, it would, you know, we've got quite a few resources in this little corner where we could play with some of those things too. And um, so, yeah, yeah. But he, Jordan also said something interesting. He said, numbers is the beginning of statistics. And I thought, what? So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to the next series, but I've got to do my due diligence and work my way through this first series. I think I, some of those numeric uh, Sumerian tax accountants are wanting to take credit for that, but <laughs> all those little clay, uh, <laughs> yeah. they look like bird pecks on them. So, so why did you jump into the stream, John? You just want to be a part of it or you got some, got anything to say about this thing we're doing in May? Yes. So in keeping with the topic of uh, Leviticus and the liturgical and repetitive practices, I am now ready to announce that Painball for Jesus will officially be on the schedule for the May 18 through 21 conference in Southern California. You heard it here first. All right. There you go. Even though I said it a little earlier in this live stream. What, that the paintball will be part of it? Yes, I did. <laughs> really? See, I show up late as usual. <laughs> but but have you made any mention of the fact that we are going to be eating pizza afterward at Graziano's? No, I had no I had no knowledge of that. Yeah, well, we had, yeah you heard we it had first. a little a meat heavy cookout in Thunder Bay after paintball in the rain. So I think um pizza no, sounds delightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we driving? Actually, it'll be on Thursday. The, 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 the paintball place is actually closed on Fridays. And so my original plan for doing that on Friday morning is not going to happen. So paintball will be on Thursday. People that want to participate in it will have to fly in a little bit early. Everyone else will get started on Friday morning, which will give us a little bit more time for the real, for the meaty stuff. Okay. Well, it looks like I'm driving because Rick says, are we driving? I'm dying to do a road so trip. How many people are coming to this? We are What's selling, your sense of attendance? We we are hoping for uh, roughly three hundred people. Three hundred. Yeah, we're planning for three hundred. And do they have to buy admission tickets? How? What's the what's the price structure like? Oh, it'll be. Uh, that's actually the the tricky point that right now that I'm still uh, kind of trying to work out the details of. But we have a budget, and we have put the budget together based on. Somewhere around 250 average, yeah, per ticket. Gotcha. Interesting. And then you have to add the transportation and the hotel, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, they're, but they're, that that people are handling their own lodging and transportation. Well, That's... we have some suggestions. We have some <laughs> suggestions for what they uh, for lodging wise. But yeah, but you didn't block hotel rooms or even anything. I did. Like, yes, I did. You did, did block hotel rooms. Yeah, okay. I did. Yeah. yeah, but they are a little bit. They're a little bit um, out of the way. So right now, the one logistical aspect that we're still trying to work out is how are we going to get people from the airport to the hotel, to the venue, to the paintball, back to the hotel, to the restaurant, to the, you know, yeah. and to the bar at night. Yeah. How you doing, Shane? Hi, Shane. You're muted. I'm, I'm doing great. Um, I have a question that I don't, I, I hope isn't coming completely off track here, but partly because of the recent um, Berveke uh, videos that he's been releasing, um, this, this, um, this idea of um, 
how we see what we see being informed by the way we see the world, like the 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 eyeglasses we're looking through, the the, the functions that we. So, um, a friend of mine uh, has been working through uh, challenges trying to help people understand his his spiritual worldview, and I think that that is something that is a challenge for all of these sort of estuary situations where we're using these different languages, right? Like I heard the, the Verveke wood conversation and I was loving it because I was just allowing all the terms to remain in sort of the abstract domain. And so I was, I was just riding the wave, loving every bit of it. But, um, the, the, I'd like you, Paul, if you can, to, if you can relate this, uh, Genesis three, six, where Eve sees the tree, Mm. what does she see and like what, what does it mean is it even the word see there like in your interpretation because the serpent convinces her in a certain way and and so when we're trying to describe hey this is not good for food to somebody who's in an estuary uh environment and and i don't i don't mean to like own like i know what good food is in that sort of metaphorical sense of what is good in life and what is bad but there's something that john's doing currently in his um uh this this new series that he's doing that seems to be really grabbing uh, uh, getting a good hold of this need for us to identify uh purpose like meaningful purpose with what we're doing and so so where can you just can you try to connect that scripture with the the sort of error that we're prone to as we as we try to identify in our salience hierarchy our relevance realization process what is good and what is not good how how did in in the first page of the bible where did we go off track <laughs> so good question i've been so this week's sermon is on the body of the Sermon on the Mount, which is really difficult. I haven't quite figured out how exactly I'm going to do it because there's basically the Beatitudes that I dealt with last week in my sermon and then the body and then the ending. The body's a major thing and I'm using um, righteousness. I'm trying to look through. I'm trying... <laughs> the kid waving his coat in the air. <laughs> Um, just you're illustrating seeing there. Um, so I'm, I'm working on right. I'm working on the body of the Sermon on the Mount through the lens of righteousness and seeing, and I'm you know, seeing the beautiful children. Jesus begins chapter six. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That whole segment where you have these three dominant forms of Jewish piety, and the main focus of all of that is to be seen. And even the practice, um, be careful. I got to rework my logo so that the Greek comes up automatically. Um, not that it's synced. Um, you know, the it's... It's practicing your righteousness. And now righteousness is sort of an, a thing you can't see. And, and so that's actually an, an incredibly, that very much gets at your question, Shane, because you're right in that she looks at the fruit 
and it's good for eating. I mean, in a sense, there, there's always a lot of discussion with the fall. When does the fall actually happen? Does it happen in the eating of the fruit? Does it happen in the seeing of the fruit? Does it happen in the wanting of the fruit? Does it happen in the rebellion that that wanting elicits? So that's a great question. And and when you know when we look at say Peterson and Peugeot's conversation about attention, about strongly relating attention to worship. And, and all of this talk of the cognitive science in terms of, you know, consciousness is, is there's a lot that goes into what we see. I, I think there's a lot there and I don't have um, anything ready made to sort of deliver to you on that. But I, I was hoping you might have um, or be able to sort of give a little of your attention to any distinction there might be in the, in the, the term, um, whether it is being properly interpreted, because we know that there's, a, at least in the way that we currently process the term seeing, it's a little bit different than knowing. And yes. clearly it's different than knowing after they've known uh, the fruit. And, yes. and so what is it that, like, how did she come to see it the way that she came to see, like, I don't know that it's even knowable, right? In that text, there's so little there, yes. but it seems like there's something critical there that can perhaps allow us to see um, something beyond um, or, 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 or evaluate different elements of what it is that we're looking at so that we can see it for more than or more accurately. I don't know. It, I, thank yeah. you if you can give any more to that. <laughs> yeah. I, it's part of, there's always this difficulty with the whole language question of reading in a translation, because obviously what goes into the English lexical range of seeing will not be identical to the Hebrew or the Greek. And so people, people often think that, oh, if, if some knowledge of the original language will, will resolve it, eh, sometimes yes, sometimes no, because even, let's say, biblical Hebrew that we have, the which the how, how much of a corpus how much insight can we get into the lexical range for a word when really most of what we have is just within this one book so so then we look at the other uses of that word in this book to try to get a a sense of the globalized sense of the word but even that's a small window with koine greek we have a little more advantage in that there's a much bigger Greek corpus out there, but once you're looking at a language over a span of centuries, you then get other signal-to-noise issues with that kind of lexicography. So I don't know that the, getting into the um, the lexical range of the word will necessarily help you, and I think it's you're probably going to find more help either in symbolic resonance or, or theological well, even but if we I, I abandon think right, that, there's something there to look for. Even if we abandon the sort of the term, like you know, whatever, I, maybe there's no more to work from if we look into the words. Like the thing that interests me is, was it was was there any element of it that was accurate and correct? Like, was it good for food? Like, are the things that she is saying about the tree and its fruit? Are they true in any sense? Well, is was the fall or, good? Or is it, is it? Now, on one hand, 
<laughs> I mean, that, that's the question. And and fiat people have been debating this for as long as we've had the story. Because, you know, if you follow the Jordan Peterson line, will we get self-consciousness? And, and Peugeot has this very interesting, probably got from church fathers, where maybe the problem with the fall is that it came too early. And maybe if we had delayed gratification a little longer, there would be less uh, drama and destruction and corruption due to it. But, you know, oh, happy fall is a is a theme that comes through again and again in different things because it's in some ways our collapse. It's it's like when Chad the alcoholic talks about his alcoholism. That on one hand, you know, it's a it's a it's a huge curse and it's a huge problem. On the other hand, would he have found Christ and redemption and all of these other goods, if it had not been for alcohol, you know, and it's Shakespeare. It's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. So you're knocking on some pretty important doors there, Shane. It's, it's real. I'm not the only one in this, in this little group of four that has wisdom. So if anybody else has something they want to add to it. I had the audacity to express my opinion about that in a recent thread on Voices about um, Eastern Avenue. Mm. And uh, and I said something to the effect that... Um, Eastern Avenue is one of the progressive churches of the Christian Reformed Church that's pushing... On the, dis on the, discussion, on the discussion about um, what are the tools at our disposal to resolve the, the conflict brewing within the church about... Um, same-sex marriage and being affirming or more traditional. And um, there were there were people who were saying that if we would only, you know, go all the way back to the confessions, the confessional statements, that would, that would help out. And then there are others that said, well, we have to go back to our hermeneutics of the scripture, you know, that, that, would, that would help out. And then I had the audacity to say that um, we... we we don't even have agreement on the meaning of words like belief or even the word agreement. And, <laughs> and I was thinking, and I was thinking about Jordan Peterson and the way he deflects many questions about his religious convictions um, by saying that depends on what you mean by belief. Yeah. And, and, and I was kind of blown away by the fact that nobody picked up on that. Yeah. That, yeah. that fell on completely deaf ears that made me an automatic uh, reflex precipitated by my perpetual making fun of Frisians, but uh, maybe I've lost some credibility there. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can't, if you swing a cat in the Christian Reformed Church, you're probably going to hit a Frisian, so. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't come over with the canonical wave of, of Jew of he of uh, Dutch refugees, Frisian refugees, to found this church. So, no. uh, but vo voices, you know, voices is voices has become this corner adjacent in some ways. But of course, most of the regular posters on voices aren't really, except for Richard. I mean, Richard's become a very regular poster on voices. So yeah. Anyway, Joe. Hey. So how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Good. I haven't got a chance to watch that uh, conversation you had with the Exorcist. It was a good, it kind of scared me a smidge bit, but it was good to have. 
Yeah. It's good to have. Um, we were, you know, actually, uh, Father Vince, he touched on this a little bit. We indirectly talked actually about what I think Shane, I know he just dropped off, was, was, was discussing about, you know, was there this aspect of good to the fall? Yeah, and it does, that actually is a scary thought also because it makes you reframe this, this story that you feel somewhat comfortable with. Um, and I know Peugeot in, in a way has well worked on obviously this question too. It's like, well, you know, the fall allows us to come into greater community with one another. Um, it allows for things like, well, communities to even be created, cities. I know he's done a lot of work on the, on the you know, the symbology of what a city is. And, you know, even things like, as, as you pointed out, self-consciousness, um, clothing, right? Warmth, comfort, like all these things are a result of the fall. And then, yeah, you do have to then you know, reflect on this question. And then, well, all of these things, clothing, cities, community, relationships, marital, clothes, I mean, I don't know, but it one reading that in which maybe you can take it is that obviously because of the fall, Adam and Eve had to come together in greater marital union. And you think, okay, well, then if this is the structure of things, well, these things can't be bad in nature, right? I mean, so a greater marital union can't, just because the genesis, the genesis of a great, of, of a marital union can't be bad in nature. And so these can't, I don't, these can't just operate on just like that dualistic good or bad, right, bad spectrum. So yeah, I, I, I feel uncomfortable talking about this because again, like the, the, the fall is a story I felt somewhat comfortable with, but when you reframe it like that, you begin to question all these things. So, yeah. and I, and I got to the conversation late, so I don't know exactly what Shane was trying to get at, but it's just my two cents. He was getting at the seeing aspect of it. Um, Jess in the, Jess in the, um, in the comments is, is, you know, probably pulling his hair out about the U-shaped journey, because that is of course the U-shaped journey that sure. Jess has done a tremendous amount of work on and, um, Job. And so it's, there's, yeah, there's, it's amazing that after thousands of years of theology, we're nowhere clear. We're nowhere near done. I know. <laughs> I know. It is, it is wild when you, I mean, it really, is, it, it's, it's a wild concept and I don't really know. I mean, are there any Who's working right? I mean, do you know anyone who's currently working on this particular project? Um, are there any Len other... Vanderzee? What is it, John? Len Vanderzee. On, on what particular project? Just the nature, guess... of the, the nature of the fall. Yeah, the nature oh. of the fall. Nature oh, and extent that... of the fall. I'll drop him a little line, see if I can get him to join here. Okay. Oh, that would be hilarious. Let, and let... Is, he, is, he, is he publishing currently on this? Uh, depends on what you mean by publishing. <laughs> um, it sounds like he's active at least. So um, that link, where, what is the easiest way to get that link to him in an email? Paul, do that. Well, it's, you'd have to cut and paste it. I pinned it to the top of the stream on YouTube, which you probably closed instead of muted. You're, you're, I, you know, the one thing I like about you, John, is you're bold. I mean, you, you try stuff that I don't know if you're going to be able to pull off. Getting Len on a StreamYard link. How much longer is this thing going to last? I that's another thing because I don't know how much longer I've gone. I've been going at it now for a couple hours, and so we're gonna. Unless we get a whole bunch of new blood in here, I'm going to land the plane soon. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you've been going on for like, this has been a filibuster. I've, All right. You've been on for a long time. Uh, we'll we'll let it we'll let it go. But I just did drop him a line. I had no idea how the, what the what the what the uh, protocol for these things is. As you well know, I I, I know very little protocol. My procedural knowledge is uh, minimal of what happens in this little corner of the internet. Yeah, yeah. And and it's and it would be I think hard for Len. Len Len can sort of do a Zoom thing, but to have him drop into this conversation, I think would be would be difficult. But I but now you said he's is he actually working on a book? I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know about a book necessarily, but he's always thinking about the nature and extent of the fall. I mean, I've heard him say that many times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All it's and and part of you know evolution sort of you know alternate alternate creation narratives, especially the scientific evolution one, of course, has sort of kicked that off. And Len pokes at that fairly often on voices. Right. And and I think I think that's something that we actually need to do a lot more thinking about. Um, oh, Aaron would love to join the chat, but I've unfortunately only just dropped in. So, no, Aaron, come on in if you want to. Hey, Paul, do you know if Harold and Schneider are anywhere in anybody's radar to uh, to continue their initial conversation about this? <clears throat> Who? The guys that wrote in the banner about the uh, the um, this is some years ago already about the implications of of the. Um, scientific analysis of the of the the genome the same guys mm. that lost their job at calvin exactly those two guys yes i'm sure they're around um yeah i mean my, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be nice to engage them somehow um i i think so my difficulty with a lot of book and paper scholars is that you know especially if they sort of lean left once you say jordan <laughs> peterson they all sort of you know, they all sort of don't want to get anywhere near Jordan Peterson because well, quit saying Jordan Peterson then. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't seem to be. Oh boy, we got this. This whole thing really got off the ground. So, all right, well, you, you you said something about fresh blood, and there's Jacob. <laughs> well, well, you know that right now Cassidy was supposed to be. Uh, live streaming oh, no. and Nora is live streaming and you're just stepping on everyone's toes, Paul. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, wait, Aaron, Paul, no, I, I was on a work call, so I really didn't get to hear. Well, I was on a work call and I had you kind of in the background, so they probably my the work call probably heard some of your voice. But how did this what was the um, catalyst for this exact question, though? Like, how did this come up? I had the same question. Um, <laughs> Shane asked about in Genesis 3 when Eve sees the fruit and sees that it's good for eating. Oh, Gabby, this is the Gabby. So Gabby bumped into me last night at the event and she came up and said, I'm the one who asked you if you were coming to this. And at that point I wasn't, but then I did. And so I met Gabby there. So great to see you, Gabby. So Genesis 3, and, and then when Shane asked that, this a lot of what's going on in this little corner is about seeing. Yeah. And, and I had never thought about, I mean, it's, it's just the Bible. I mean, the old Testament often has a bunch of these ways of talking, which, I mean, Robert Alter was really helpful in sort of opening that up and not seeing it as sort of bad redaction, which was the way that a lot of critical scholars in the West sort of dismissed a lot of it. But, 
you know, there's a big point made in Genesis 3 where she sees that the fruit is good. And, okay, well, what does that mean? So that was Shane's question. And that's where we I got see. into, you know, was the and was the fall good or bad? And, in, in fact, even, you know, when I, as someone from the Reformed tradition, <laughs> talk about the fall, that's a major yeah. piece of our narrative arc, you know, Jess's U-shape. But that text doesn't operate in that same way in all of the communities that read the Bible. So yeah, this stuff sure. I have a very complex. specific question about that. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop myself out here. Y'all keep talking and behave yourself. Don't get me struck out of YouTube, Jacob. <laughs> Don't say anything bad about lighting fires on other people's buildings. That's all I have to say. So keep going, John. Well, my question actually is, uh, Jacob, and you can help. When it says that Eve sees the fruit and sees that it is good, can you flip that around and say it was revealed to her that it was good? Based on the grammar. Tov mar eh. Interesting. Yeah, it was. It. Well, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I think... The Jewish understanding of the whole fall is just so different. I have a difficult, I have difficulty, like <sighs> this word homartiology, like is, has been incredibly interesting to me because the ways Christians look at sin, um, like the idea that looking at some, like seeing something is itself a sin is like yeah there, there is a concept of like there are things you should not look at but like yeah I, but I can we see anything it. at all that is not being revealed to us no of course not you can only see that which god uh shows you that's my point yeah it's like one one thing that i'm reminded of but this is obviously way later but it's the 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 neoplatonic uh, sense of you know uh, for instance like if you see beauty you can only see beauty if you participate yourself in the beauty which in this sense would imply right you could only like see sinfulness uh, at the moment you participated in yourself but obviously like that's mixing up traditions that are thousands of years apart but the notion could be similar right that it's anticipating that sense it's a particular kind of seeing right like just like a kind of seeing when you're uh, for instance uh, yeah, I don't know, looking uh, with desire towards someone when, while you're trying to be faithful to your partner, you know, in that same sense. But I'm not sure if that's unrelated in this example. Well, I mean, well, even even there, even there in a, in a kind of a weird way, you can only see the object of your desire when the object shows up. Right. Sure. Yeah. I don't want to get too Catholic about this, but... Uh... <laughs> Um, I was just, so this is interesting. Um, I, I don't know how familiar, and I don't know actually all my feelings about this to begin with, but, um, I just read again, Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. And that notion of seeing within, like the intentionality of seeing, um, is a big, well, it, it, it plays a heavy part, I guess, in that theology of the body, um, because, I don't know, Jacob, you were talking about it. You were saying, um, 
Well, essentially, you were. It sounded like you were touching on, like in the Christian tradition, uh, maybe like cross in a, in a cross Christian sense. That yes, to a degree, um, sin is in relationship to seeing. Right. I think that's what you were. Is that what you were saying? Um, that you were that the Christian tradition compared to the Jewish tradition's notion of sin is is off or is different because of that aspect. Well, I, I know Paul loves Doug, Doug Wilson. <laughs> and there was a debate. <laughs> there was a debate that Doug Wilson was having with someone else about sin. And they got into really fine particulars about when precisely do you begin to sin? When is it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, it just seemed so incredibly legalistic to me. Sure. That I was, I was like, because the question is like, as Aaron was saying, okay, if you like the, a really easy example of this is yes, I'm with my wife and a very attractive woman walks down the street. Now, is it a sin if, you know, is it a sin if I look for a second or is it a sin if I, you know, the moment I key in on a body part, is it a sin if I just notice her in general, I, if I'm aware of her presence and that that presence, obviously you can't even like differentiate like the nanosecond of when like lust becomes into that into that thought so yeah like when exactly yes um and the, i the do comments... know, i'm not going to be able to cite it but i i, I do know um man, what is it? and how did you get there in the first place it, well yeah and how did she get there in the first place and it's funny you say that because um that was another thing that's heavily addressed in theology of the body if you know and i don't want to like again i don't want to make it too catholic but, um, you know, this idea of, you know, how did she get here in the first place? Is it a sin to even, you know, is it a sin to dress immodestly or is it, you know, it, or is it really only a sin because you're having other people pay attention to you? Right. So, so, I didn't I didn't actually even mean how she presents herself. I didn't sure. mean that. I, meant I, what I meant was, how is it that at this particular moment, this particular attractive woman appears in my peripheral view yeah I mean, how is it that that even happened the the comment i left on that video was god does not expect you to write a phd dissertation on the nature of your sin when you pray and honestly that's that's what this type of hair splitting like i'm sorry but like when you sound like a legalistic pharisee to me you're here you've gone too far <laughs> I thought I sounded like a Calvinist myself, but not much difference. <laughs> no, I mean that does make. I mean, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with you, Jacob. But then again, Jacob was the guy who can also connect other things that many of us don't look like they relate, but Jacob finds a connection there. So uh, hair, hair, hair splitting um, look, is not hair only for those with hair on top of their heads. <laughs> hair splitting. Look, I, I love a good Talmudic pill pull. Like I was thinking about this. Like there's, there are these methods where you like you, you go very, very fine into the nature of sin and, like, I highly recommend Maimonides' uh, Laws of Repentance to everyone. Um, it's, it's beautiful, and frankly, many, many, many pious Jews memorize the, the entire 10 chapters of it. 
And it's in a sense legalistic. Yeah, it is. Because he goes into very fine detail about when you have to apologize and, and things like that. At the same time, like this whole concept of homartiology, like that word itself just bothers me. Yeah, but there's always like, going to be like a legalism with it because of the fact that, I mean, in both traditions, right? I mean, if you just look at the basic commandments, I mean, what is that? I mean, it is a legal document. So it, 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 you, it is obviously going to inherently be like a legalistic pursuit. I'm going to agree with Anselman in, in three words that he said. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. It, it, it is incredibly important to know what sin is. But when you're sitting there and you're, you're asking yourself, did I sin in the fact that I inadvertently saw someone like, I remember when I was in yeshiva, my parents came to visit me and they took me to a lot. And here I am, a yeshiva student wearing the clothes of a yeshiva student on the beach in a lot, and there are topless women all over the place. And it was like, I, I started running. Like, I, I did. I was, I was like, what am I doing here? Right? Um, at, at the same time, like, your, your, that, that sort of hair splitting or it's, it's, it's just not useful. Yeah. It's, it's a sin. Yeah. It's a sin for me to look at women in a lustful manner. Like that's a sin, but sitting there and wondering if the fact that, um, I saw that woman at all topless is a sin or not. I think it misses the point. I, I think it might help to 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 frame this conversation in a slightly different context. And there is a um, a bit of a debate again going on on voices when two parties split and there is animosity there. What are the possibilities and the likelihood of there being any kind of reconciliation or any kind of graceful separation or any kind and so i introduced into that conversation the idea of a of a divorce and so what what does it take for two people who get a divorce to coexist or to raise their children together or to be able to show up at at various um holidays or festivities you know at the same time with their with their former spouse and and that actually is another way of of being able to assess the the depth of transgression or the depth of hostility or the depth of violation that that has occurred between these two parties and then to to find a way to navigate that somehow by perhaps not talking about that um it's, infringement it's, or not it, talking about that and so and so and so if you if you're going to be very legalistic about it then you can say well so and so cannot show up at this party you know because he did this that and that and that it's really interesting to me that you bring up divorce because i think divorce is actually like 
this is this is one of the things Jesus says. Um, this is not how it was from the beginning, and I think Christians don't understand the halachic context of saying this is not how something should be lechatchila, right? So in in Jewish law, we have this concept of lechatchila and bedi'avad, something that is ab initio and something that is ex post facto, right? You're you. In, in a perfect situation, divorce is absolutely unthinkable, right? No one should ever get a divorce, ever. Right. Except the fact is that the law provides for divorce. And so when, and I have to say, this is, this is one of my big faults with Christianity, is Christianity, I... I think does not handle well this idea that yes, we are fallen people and God gave us divorce because he always recognized that. And yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, you see that Christian denominations are very bad at dealing with divorce. And I think Jesus was completely right when he said in the beginning, right, from a, a, a beginning point of view, and because of the hardness of our hearts, God gave us divorce. And, like, I'm getting on my soapbox, which I know Paul Wait, loves. I can say more about bad channel. with divorce. Like, what do you mean by it, Christianity is bad with divorce? Like, well, like, look at it. Look, look at how Catholics deal with divorce. Look at how the CRC deals with divorce. Look at how divorce is being dealt with in Christian churches. It it is dealt with very poorly, I would say. How do you know about how the CRC deals with divorce? I've talked to people who have been divorced <laughs> in the CRC, Paul. Um, when you There's say like the, range, the ease though, of it, Jacob, say. the ease of in which um, like you can take a steps. To get a divorce and like i guess the the accessibility of it or is, or is that what you mean or is it more like the how do we handle the family after this is like the counseling aspect of it or all, all, of, it? all, all of it look in 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 i'm not saying <laughs> certainly jew uh, like the orthodox jewish community is not peopled with perfect people at all i've right. i've been through some horrible divorces in in the orthodox community uh but when it comes down to it I, this idea of whether or not you give communion to somebody who um, who has been divorced, mm. like the Catholic Church is still dealing with that Definitely. at a very like, and the idea of annulments and that again. Yeah, but I, the I reason why I brought it up, Jacob, is not so much to talk about <clears throat> how various denominations deal with the actuality of divorce, namely the breakdown of marriage, but rather. When there is a breakdown, when there is a relational breakdown, such as even the way C.S. Lewis talks about the great divorce, namely the divorce between God and human and hum and mankind, that divorce. So my 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 point is that 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 there is there are two attitudes that you can take towards that, probably a whole lot more, but at least two. And 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 the one is to say, you know, it's a done deal, and we're going to continually refine our fault finding and make sure that we know that 
you know, this party is at fault or that party is at fault or it was the laws that thou gavest me that were at fault or it was the fruit that thou gavest me that was at fault or alternatively, figure out a way or observe the way, either figure out or observe the way that we can coexist in spite of the great divorce. And the, and the coexisting with God in spite of the great divorce, there is stuff to be known and observe and appreciate about that and, and emulate and follow and, and try to practice. And there's also the alternative thing, and that is to continue to, to separate and distance from one another and point finger and, and blame and, and, and perpetuate the animosity. But, but and, I, and I think that in some ways, I think that it is the, the legalism that arises out of, um, well, let me just leave it there. The, the, these two things are very interrelated. If you're good at being able to deal with divorce in the family context, then you should be able to deal with divorce in a denominational and community context. And if you can't deal with it in, so it's, you can't split these, it's, it's a similar skill of toleration and forgiveness and uh, understanding the context of what does it mean for us to live in a fallen world. And again, I think the problem is theologically Christianity has problems dealing with all of this stuff. I, I just see it as a theological problem that underlies a lot of different problems. But how would you say that is different in the Jewish community that a discernible, noticeable difference between these two communities in terms of dealing with the fall? It goes back to Jesus. It goes back to Jesus. It goes back to what Jesus was saying when he said... In the beginning, that is not how it was meant to be. But because of the hardness of your hearts, God gave you uh, gave uh, the law of Moses of divorce. Are you saying he, he was wrong? Are you saying he I, was wrong? I'm saying he him? was. I, I'm saying Christians completely don't understand it. I'm nope. saying Christians do not understand what Jesus, as a rabbi was saying, which every single rabbi for the past 2,000 years has been saying similar things about divorce. And Christians don't have the vocabulary to understand what Jesus was saying. Paul? Uh, Aaron and Kara came in here, and I want to give them a chance. I believe Jacob came in here to admonish us to close down the stream, and he continued to lengthen Kara, it for 20 minutes. Kara was live streaming, and you were you were interrupting oh, her live I'm sorry, stream. Kara. It's okay. We finished. Uh, we, we managed to go two hours of live stream of uh, owning up to our feelings and needs. And, like, actually the whole chapter was on... Uh, uh, it's not what others are saying. If you feel something in response, it's on you. You have to be able to be mindful of that. So like, I, I want to address the idea of the possibility of divorce. 
it's actually uh, I see I see it as as two possibilities. So there is hell and paradise. And let's say uh, future life together would be this paradise and divorce would be this hell. The possibility of hell is actually gives people options, right? Uh, so people can be in this marriage and they can sin a lot, a lot, and then they go to hell, which is divorce, basically. So they get separate, their uh, dreams are ruined. And it's a choice. It's like the the fact that we have in marriage, uh, like if it's if it's it has to be just marriage, like no possibility of divorce. It's like it has to be just paradise, no possibility of hell. Like it it needs to be there as like a counterweight, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Like I, it's just like my thought at this point. Mm. And uh, also to the point how not to see an enemy or like not to go through this emotional and negotiate those uh, kind of kids and stuff during the divorce. Like see your partner as a human being. Don't see it as an enemy. It's like, dude, it didn't work out. So let's let's deal with it in the best possible situation. And actually have seen uh, uh, separations like that happening where people were like, painfully admitting to themselves that it's like actually really bad together it would be better apart and they would go through that and end up friends still like and all of those situations like kids and houses everything was handled in the most polite manner and people found better happiness as well so like i don't know it, mm. it, there is no one recipe for everybody like it's everything different individual like but the most important is like just respect uh, people in front of you mm. i like that notion of the the checks and balance like the heaven and hell the checks and balance like you kind of need the the idea that hell exists in order to stay grounded in the you know in the actual marriage i think that's interesting and jacob i'm doing a lot of thinking now about catholicism and divorce and I, because <clears throat> Obviously, and in, in, you, you well, you talked specifically about how many people that are divorced are taking communion, <laughs> um, and tons. I mean, that's anecdotally. I don't know, but I'm going to say tons. And the difficulty with that is because it is so parish to parish heavy. It's well, it's not even parish to parish. It's priest to priest, right? And I don't know. I don't know how this functions on a Protestant level because obviously, um, with the grave sin of divorce and with the sacramental reality in Catholicism, right? We're actually, I mean, we're, we're believing that we're taking Christ in. And that's the very difficult thing with why I think Catholics and the Catholic Church has been so, as you put, and I, I sincerely agree, as a Catholic who is married, I sincerely agree with how at ease the church is almost at, at the nature of divorce, at the idea of getting a divorce. And it's like because we because we participate in this in, in this sacramental reality every Sunday, and we're literally taking in. I mean, obviously, right as the Catholics, believe, I'm literally taking in the body of Christ. At one point, it's like, how can I deny anyone that ever, no matter what they do, right? I mean, how can I even if they? I mean, a divorce is a grave sin, but how can I deny the individual, the actual? body of Jesus Christ. And I don't know, again, I can't speak for the Protestants, but I know for in Catholicism, that's a big part of it. It's like, how do we, I mean, cause then again, it's like, well, what is the nature of sin? And cause we, you can't out sin God. Right. So 
if you can't out sin God's grace, but you've got a divorce, how can I deny someone communion? How can I deny someone literally digesting both spiritually and physically the body of Christ? That's the hard thing for the Catholics. I don't know how to answer that, but I know on a Catholic perspective, I think that's where the struggle lies. It's, it's interesting. Like I'm not so much into, um, I don't have like a denominational expertise, so I can't speak to that, but um, it's interesting, Jacob, like that you tie this to that theological notion, because to me, it sounds much more like it's sort of part of the general trend of what's been observed of how we have, um, it was also, I think in the conversation between Douglas Murray and what was it again, Tom Holland, and then yet this other individual for the Hoover Institute, and they brought up this sort of Shirardi and distinction between sort of Christianity on the one, on the one hand and hyper-Christianity on the, on the other hand, that sort of you have this strange split in our society where some Christian values are sort of used against it, and that's like some people call that sort of anti-Christian values, and that is sort of the concern, the, the concern for victims actually, some, actually being sort of this power dynamic. And that's a problem you sometimes see in these divorces as well, right? Because what happens in a divorce is you have a bunch of victims, right? So you have parents and you have children and everyone is a victim. Mm -hmm. So like we're concerned for all the victims and we're like, let's just, you know, start all over again. So and that's also why obviously like this whole Peterson thing is so interesting because he is like, you know, going in from the other perspective, like, oh, we need to take responsibility. And, you know, these parents should take responsibility and stay together. But in my opinion it's much more related to that part right like that we're we're considering everyone to be victims so therefore obviously you should get divorced if you feel unhappy because you're a victim and you know the world is going against you and you know you should do whatever you like I, I think it's much more related to that part than those specific words of Christ that you attach but again it's not my expertise but that's my feeling on this matter Jacob I'm also thinking about now man those it was a good point because I'm also thinking about this. I mean, why? In you know, it's a sacrament, right? Marriage is a sacrament. And again, if we're looked at who's the ancestors of marriage, I mean, I brought this up with with, with just Paul and John. Uh, it's well, it's Adam and Eve, right? And to say, what's the worst thing that happened to Adam and Eve? Okay, well, right, they they fell, right? And but then what did they do? They they hunkered down and they came closer together, right? And they they came in together we don't know even that. more. We don't know that. We do not know what the nature and the and the nature of the connection between Adam and Eve was prior to the to the fall. The word the word that is used in the Hebrew when it says that God um, basically kicked them out of the garden is Garesh. It says he divorced them. Mm. The great divorce. Well, my point was going to be inter. I mean, so this was my, but this is the point. It's like if they hunkered down, then, um, I mean, it goes to show you, I mean, Jacob, from what you were getting at, your main point is, you know, the ease. I mean, people get divorces for. I mean, I'd, I'd be so curious to see what the, you know, what box one checks on the divorce paper. Um, but if you know, I was going to say, like, if we're to go back to our ancestral roots of our, our spiritual ancestral roots of these things. Right. I mean, what could really actually what what could truly cause someone to divorce and to break that sacrament? Um, but you you did kind of just, you know, throw a curveball on me by giving me the the true 
definition or the true translation of, of the word. There is a way in which there is a way in which the way people handle actual divorces could become a sort of a lesson of sorts. And there is a way that you can kind of observe the way people act around conflict and the way they resolve conflict and what actual reconciliation looks like in the real world that could become somewhat of a paradigm for for how um, other people and how larger organizations could resolve conflict. And we, we, we easily default, I hear Jacob talking about it as a theological problem. We easily default in the way we understand the way, you know, the way this has been theologically discussed in the past. But there's also a phenomenological aspect to it. And that is that people have, people have <clears throat> found themselves in conflicts throughout history and people have learned to resolve certain conflicts and live with certain conflicts in better ways and worse ways. I mean, that, that some, some people are better at it than other people are. And so there's got to be some kind of a phenomenological analysis that you could do and say, well, what does it take to survive and to some degree even thrive after a conflict? One thing, even, even a conflict as big as divorce. One thing, one thing Paul once pointed out a while back, and I, I just thought it was brilliant, uh, was that maybe the reason we are focusing on gay marriage and LBGBTQ whatever plus plus issues is because what we really want to talk about is all the problems in heterosexuality that we don't talk about. And that was, that was incredibly insightful. I think it's absolutely true that all of the reason so many heterosexuals are spending so much time talking about gay marriage is because of all the issues in their own marriages. I never heard heterosexuals talk about gay marriage. Oh, you, you don't live in the United States. Oh, okay, okay. That's uh, in Poland. Oh, in Poland, it's not a thing. It's just like, no, absolutely not. Well, like I actually <laughs> exactly in Poland it's, it's like it's, it's very clear yes in the I, I have a very sad decree. story about it <laughs> in in the United States it's 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 a huge it's it's a constant hot hot topic and mm -hmm. I think Paul I think Paul has a point that it it is a hot topic because that we're not actually talking about all the problems with pornography and polygamy. And uh, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, what what do they call it? Uh, not polygamy. Um, polyamory. Po po oh. Yeah, polyamory. The yeah. new name for polygamy and serial <laughs> monogamy, which is what almost everybody partakes in in uh, right now. And like, 
there's a fundamental problem with with dealing with sexuality mm -hmm. and so i mean the 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 crc synod thing from last year the people who were like oh well why are we why are we suddenly pointing fingers at at the homosexuals uh, i think they definitely had a point that really like it was like okay wh why is this now the huge issue when we know pornography is just rampant in a in our society yeah well it's because they're i mean i like to think that the reason why th these things are not getting brought up is because it would be too difficult to bring up things that you're currently struggling with yourself so we hide and hide and hide and we don't want to talk about for example, pornography, or we don't want to talk about our maybe desires or our thoughts on cheating on our wives, right? Because we don't want to bring this to the forefront because we, in fact, are doing it. Now, I know my wife's not watching this, but if she was, I'm not doing it. Don't worry. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know, no, but to get to your point, um, no, it's because we are doing this as a culture. Happy I made Paul laugh. Yeah, we are doing this as a culture and we're too petrified to unearth quite frankly, these sins that we are currently committing. Because if we realize that we are, I mean, if we unearth these things, it's just going to, it's going to throw us through an existential loop. But no, I mean, I, I truly believe that the reason why these things are not being brought to the forefront is because public consensus is, or not public consensus is because these are just what, this is just the habits. These are the habitual habits that we're taking part in. Okay. I, I have to do this and I'm very sorry, but I just have to. What part of that comes from the Christian idea that if you are a Christian and you accepted Jesus into your heart, you no longer sin? Oh, I don't believe that at all. And there are very few Christians who do believe that. Uh, are you sure about that? Yes. Very few Christians. Well, like a lot of Christians, if you accept that atheists in the West are Christians, but it depends on what you mean, because right, like that, that that's the point I was also trying to make earlier is like, okay, obviously it's indwelled in our culture and now it's being sort of taken over by people who don't actually commit to the religion. But I would say that we've met oh. very few Christians in that sense, like that actually like are committed to no. a religious lifestyle. That sense. Yeah. I see what I, you're trying I to get have, at, Jacob. I have heard left and right. Oh, if, if, you know, if, if you accept Jesus into your heart, he will defeat sin for you. Sure. Like. Theologically speaking, Jacob, I think you're talking about the distinction between how we see ourselves and each other and the way God sees us. I have no idea. I just laugh anytime a, a Christian tells uh, a gay person that if you accept Jesus into your heart, you will no longer be gay. You're also and thinking of a very particular denomination of Christianity, though. Like I would quite seriously speak on all Catholics and saying that I don't think that I don't think any Catholic would agree with that statement or any well, statement. Well, that... OK, I, I have to say, yes, I am definitely talking about Protestants, but, but I a mean, specific. I don't even I mean, I don't know about Paul or John, but I don't think that you would even agree with that, would you? I know that there are Christians who um, who certainly say these kinds of things. Um, let's see. One is certainly Beckett Cook, 
Well, I mean, they're, 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 it's mm. people are all over the freaking map on this. And yeah. clean, narrative, clean narratives don't exist. So if you look at Beckett Cook, he's about as hardline Protestant as you can find on this matter. And, you know, you can look at uh, Rosaria Butterfield. You can find all sorts of people who are um, all over the place with this stuff. So I'm not going to speak for them. Beckett Cook and Rosaria Butterfield say once Jesus came into their heart, they are a new creation. That's what they say. It's not my place to say they're not. The, the majority of same sex the, the majority of same-sex attracted Christians that I know populate the rest of the spectrum, but they're on a spectrum. I, I'm sorry. This is this is the ultimate Christian claim of Jesus died for your sins, which I find laughable. Well, that's why you're not a Christian. Yes. So, <laughs> the matter of definition. But were you trying to get at Jacob? This is why people are bringing it to the forefront. Maybe yeah, because because if you admit if you admit that oh I have a problem with pornography, then you're admitting in in that light that Jesus is not in your heart, that you are a failed Christian that you should not be taking communion, that you should be disfellowshipped. And, and no, again, I would go ahead. That's not really the way it works in Christianity. Because again, total depravity, another thing that you don't appreciate. Um, everyone that comes to the table is a sinner and they come to the table because they are a sinner. And, and now that's a struggle in, I was just talking, one of the Randall's conversations that I haven't released yet. I mean, there's a perpetual issue. There's a perpetual tension in Christianity with respect to that. Jordan B. Cooper, the title of his channel, you know, you know, basically sinner and saint at the same time, Martin Luther, that, that's all about that tension. And that's why in the Christian Reformed Church, the fight isn't really over sexual practice it's the fight over regard with respect to sexual practice that's 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 the way christianity works now i i know you disagree with it you're not a christian that's that's again a model of definition some people say that the bears have a good football team um most of the world says they don't <laughs> But I, I, I mean, given that distinction, then I would still, in a way, kind of be interested in in hearing how Jacob um, does his theological reflection about the presence of um, failure and sin in the Jewish community, and and how any kind of uh, forgiveness and reconciliation, particularly with God, might happen. So um, the example I've started to give is fat rabbis. There's a, there are a lot of fat rabbis. And we all know that gluttony is a sin. And we all know that the fact that they're fat is a visible manifestation that no matter how good of a person they are, they lack the self-control to actually control what goes into their mouths. 
And that doesn't change the fact that they're rabbis and we love them. And they may be some of the holiest people. Um, in fact, they tend to be, and he's public enough that I can say this, Rabbi Breidowitz is one of the most saintly people I have ever met in my whole life. I love that man like you wouldn't believe. And he's overweight. And anybody, anybody in the Jewish community who brings up the fact that he's overweight is a tochus. I, I'd say, Jacob, that Christians have been working for centuries on their theology of sin with respect to practice. And part of, and, and there have been a variety of Christian uh, segments that have dealt with sin on varying different levels. Um, the holiness movement, um, but, the, but the, main, the main categories remain the same, and their theology is, is an attempt to make some sense of these realities, you know, such as, um, you know, you, you often point out the, um, you awful, awful point out the ways that you see Paul of Tarsus fall short, the ways that you see Martin Luther fall short, the ways that you see me fall short. And, and Christianity has done a great deal of work in thinking about sin and the Christian life and, um, how how it is how it is how we process that and of course the drama of in the in the Catholic tradition the drama of confession repentance um, absolution communion I mean all of that you look at the sacramental system in the Roman Catholic Church it's all about how on earth can and again back to and you and I have had you know disagreements about this going back to the book of Genesis. How can a holy God live in the midst of an unholy people without killing them? And plenty got killed. In fact, the whole nation gets killed in the desert in numbers because of sin. And so earlier in the podcast, I mean, sin is, should be taken very seriously. Why? The wages of sin is death. Okay, so we are sinners and we are called to be holy. How does that process work? It's a whole, so much of the faith is about that. And we can put it up, we can put it in, in newer terms, such as transformation. That's what Peterson and Verveke like to talk about. I mean, these are conversations going on again and again, repeatedly, under how many of our conversations. And when we get to something like divorce, which is divorce and marriage. I mean, if, if there is a divorce, marriage, sexuality, pornography, I mean, these are the these are the daily bread of pastoral ministry these days. Throw money into the mix. Money, sex, and power. Um, and we're when we're dealing with them. Well, okay, well, we've got an ideal. How are we going to not only recognize the ideal, bear witness to the ideal, but also increasingly um participate in the ideal and pursue the ideal? It's, it's other language for what the Christian religion has been working with with people for centuries. It's it's something every religion has and must deal with constantly. Yep. Um, I think the problem is, as opposed to Jesus, Paul of Tarsus gave you a very bad theology for how to deal with it. 
Yes, we 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 hear you, Jacob. We hear you. I can put a little. I'm learning. I'm figuring out how to do these little crawls. Jacob thinks Christianity has bad theology. Someone alert the New <laughs> Pauline, York Times. Pauline Christianity. <laughs> Je Jesus, Jesus actually seemed to have known all about Judaism. <laughs> yeah, he's the he most. Had good, he had a good idea about it. He, he, Je Jesus understood Judaism. I, I have no problem with Jesus. All right. So, okay. Now, I I want to, I really want to, I, I feel really bad for Cassidy that we are, we stepped on Kara, we stepped on Cassidy. I feel really bad about that, actually, because I very much want to promote, you know, Cassidy and, and Kara and all of these other, and Joe and all of these other channels. And if Aaron starts a channel, I'll promote his too. Uh, <laughs> Aaron says no. <laughs> Not soon, no. <laughs> but I, I want to know. I want to give everybody a chance to kind of say what they wanted to say, and then we should land this plane. See, I want to Jacob's job. So go ahead, Kara. Uh, I I want to talk about uh, the possibility of divorce um, and marriage. So I I do not see a possibility of divorce for myself. Like I just don't. It's like, and I have been married. Um, like I don't know, fourteen years. Uh, okay, tomorrow will be will be uh, an anniversary, thirteen years. So it's actually tomorrow. <laughs> and um, yeah, I have to I have to calculate it since then. Okay, so tomorrow will be thirteen years of actual marriage, and fourteen uh, like. 14 years of, of relationship, like 14 more. And I don't see it. Like, I, I am pretty outgoing, outspoken, and I have a lot of friends. Uh, and yet, uh, I just cannot imagine it still. So it's not an obligatory thing. I, I still see it as possibility. I don't have to go through hoops. Uh, in order to do it, it's just like signing a document, and so so the marriage is is the unity of two people who choose to be together. And like Peterson uh, talked about Tammy, so we are in this boat, and we row with it. Even if it's hard, we find a way to be together. We have date nights, we have playfulness and stuff. So Jordan actually nailed it. Like his advice on relationships really helped. And like he did not bring it through frame of Christianity, although I do appreciate it. And um, yeah, so that idea should be mutual. So everything mutual. Like two people mutually decide that, yes, we are right for each other and we will go. Not obligatory because uh, government said so or church said so. So that's Kara, are you able to see what you just said in the light of what Paul said earlier about the ideal, the thing we aspire yes. to? Yes, so I agree. So what would you say Paul. to the people that fail? Try again. Okay. It, uh, it, there, uh, failure, failure is just an experience. It's, it's not you failed and then nothing. No, like there is a new day. You failed in the past. You try again. You do it better next time. If it's with different partner, well, then be it. If like the same partner doesn't want to do it, but you actually learn from your mistakes. It's not like you stationary always. We grow, we mature. Our levels of, uh, let's say, emotional smooth swing stay. They, 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 they come down. They come down. It's time. It's like... Uh, 
So <laughs> I do believe there is uh, like everything gets better. Like it's communication between people. That that's my ideal. If people don't talk to each other, that's horrible. And also, I, I wanted to ask: Is judgment judging others is it a, a sin? And then which is more of a sin? Like like talking about the 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 woman that is uh, immodestly dressed. Like I choose to dress modestly, but it's not because I want. I, I'm afraid to be judged. I, I just, it feels like I want to be taken seriously, and uh, having <laughs> having um, war makeup on me would make me less uh, kind of people would hear me less. It it would be like, oh, you're weaponizing your appearance in order to be heard. And so, like, to me, I, I cannot weaponize my ability to scream loudest, although I, I do believe that guys who just come into the room, ah, this is their war makeup. That's the equivalent of red lipstick, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's just like, I do not choose to weaponize mine. I would prefer the art of conversation, like a respectful argument as well. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I. Sorry. David, did, did you want to say something more? Kara? Okay. No. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Like I only uh, dropped in quite late, so I I missed quite a lot of the conversation, unfortunately. Um, but what I should say, like even um, besides theological issues happening, sort of post Christ, like there's just a lot of what Jesus himself said, right? Like in terms of, and, and that that's what I'm really thinking about. So like either indeed like of desiring this other person and like, you know, and that that's already sinful or indeed uh, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. And the point of those statements is that, yes, obviously you can have like one dominant theological interpretation following that. And that's, that can be problematic, but they are so ambiguous in themselves because right. You can either conclude from that, like, Oh, so we're all sinners. So basically then, no one is a sinner because we're all the same. So let's just celebrate it and do whatever we want, right? Like we don't care. But indeed, kind of what Paul was also relating earlier, and that's really, I think, how most Christians are relating to it. It's like, okay, wait, what does that actually mean for me to be a sinner? Like how do I relate to my sin and actually incorporate that very carefully into ourselves? So besides like all the theological issues like that happened later, I also, I, I think it's already starting in the words of Jesus himself. And we're dealing with it like from that moment onwards. And that's sort of, what I'm thinking about. So that's the last statement I wanted to add. But thanks, this was great. Um, I think any last word I would want to say is that, I, I, and Aaron, thanks for saying that because I kind of reinforced something I was thinking about, right? Christ came so that sins can be forgiven. And I really like want to focus on so that they can be forgiven, right? Not that they're not going to necessarily happen, but that they can be forgiven. And I, I think that that's really something important to to reflect on and to think about um, with our own relationship with sin, knowing that they're going to happen and they're still going to happen. I mean, we have obviously, you know, we have free will and that we are, you know, the fall is is true and real. Um, but they're, they have the possibility to be forgiven and we have the possibility to keep on getting up. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the Christian tradition in general, cross denominationally, um, is because. Right. Christ didn't come and, and, and say, we're going to be like deterministic animals and we're just going to you know follow suit. And we're going to be just in this like 
weird, you know, it's just every, we're, nothing bad is ever going to happen again, but yeah, so it's going to be forgiven. But Jacob, I would love to have you on, and I would love to talk more about divorce and pornography um, and all these issues of why people are are having, or, or why all these issues in, in which influences divorce. Um, Paul, can I make a, can I make a selfish pitch just for two seconds? Um, I had a conversation, check out my channel. Kara, I'm going to check out your channel. Um, yeah. Um, I had a great conversation with an uh, exorcist named Vince Lampert, and it's been the most popular uh, episode so far because I think it's like people, I mean, and this is so fascinating. People love evil. I mean, if you really want people to walk into the door, I mean, pop an exorcist on your channel. I got, you're going to get thousands of views. And I've been reflecting on the, why that is. And this conversation today is even helping me reflect on that more. Um, and it's a good conversation. I mean, Father Vince is a very devout Catholic priest. So a lot of the answers are pretty straightforward and pretty Catholic. But I do think that even in, in those more Catholic straightforward answers that he gives, it's, it's a lot of food for thought. So I would encourage anyone who is interested in how evil is at the roots of all things and you know how the devil plays little tricks to to go watch that but jacob um i you should get my email from my channel because i would love to connect with you and have the conversation my my email is very easy to find i love listening to myself speak so um my last name at gmail is just my email and frankly you can google my name and find my cell phone number like that so <laughs> don't worry about it um, uh, I'll, I'll write your name down. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll leave us with one of my favorite jokes. So, uh, adulterous woman is brought to Jesus and the crowd wants to stone her. And Jesus says, let's the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And the crowd starts melting away. And this old woman comes with a stone and throws it at her. And the rest of the crowd comes and stones the woman. And Jesus turns to the old woman and says, Mom, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I, I really thought you would write Paul Jacob's number 555555. <laughs> This is an old, this is a 1980s song, 8675309. So yeah. it's not a number. It's oh, so 19... lyrics. <laughs> it's song lyrics. <laughs> For us old timers. All right. Um, any other any other self-promotion anyone wants to do? We don't uh navigating patterns, Grim Gris has a Patreon. Uh, just with Joe has an exorcist. John Van Donk has an estuary. Kara wants to know your song. Aaron, what are we gonna what are we gonna promote for you? Come on, Aaron. We need a little more visibility from you. Aaron, I spent I'll, I'll work on that. I'll work on that. I have a plan for Aaron's life. Oh, yeah. Thank you, John. Please. <laughs> John, <laughs> John's had a plan for my John keeps having new plans for my life. And so usually they're okay. Sometimes yeah. they involve spending the night in the back of a very small car. Oh, here we go. That's exactly again. what I was afraid of. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. we'll see. Let's let's not forget next year, February, there's going to be a conference in uh, in Jerusalem. Wow. Next year in Jerusalem. Good. Next year I'll, in I'll Jerusalem. I'll try to be there. That's good. Where have I heard that before? 
Next year in Jerusalem. <laughs> Next year in Jerusalem. <laughs> boy, oh boy, lots of lots anything. of plans for my life, and they all sound really good. So, all right, everyone, I do want to land the plane. And if Cassidy is going to live stream, go to her channel. Kara, if you're going to live stream, go to her channel. Go to Joe's channel. Check it out. Jacob's on a lot, so he's easy to get on to. And especially if I'm just waiting for someone to pop into Jacob's channel and say, I've come here for an argument. Because uh, that's that's you can usually find one of those with Jacob. So <laughs> thank you all for participating and watching the live stream. And I'm going to land the plane. Thanks, Great. Paul. See you later. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, Bye, Paul. Great weekend. Yeah.